All right, we are going to go ahead and get started here. I'm so glad all of you could join us tonight. I'm excited to be able to spend this time with you guys talking about a subject that I really am passionate about and enjoy talking about. So I'm excited for it all the way around. Um, before we dig in, I just have two things I want you guys to do. You should have all received a pink post-it note and a yellow post-it note. The yellow post-it note, I would love for you to just think back on any groups experience you had in the past, um, any questions you have going forward. And so this is for writing questions down and we're gonna pass those around at the break or I'll collect them at the break. So you can write down one or 15 or whatever questions. But if you have any questions like, okay, so for reals, what do you do when someone just won't stop talking or whatever it may be. This post-it note, I would like for you to take a moment now and think about a label that you would love to put on someone in a group that you've been in in the recent past. You'd be like, you are too quiet, or you are mean, or you are um, wise. Hey, we could probably do some good ones too. Um, uh, or please, please just talk and share something. So whatever it is, I would like for you to think, if you had a label that you could just go put on someone's forehead and you were able to label them, something that you'd just be like that, okay, we just got that all identified and labeled, please just label that person so everyone knows. So if you can be thinking about what you want to write on that, don't like hesitate, don't be like, oh, I wonder if they'll read my handwriting and it's me, no, just write it, just write it down. And then so maybe once Meredith is ready or we want to pass them on the inside, then we can just kind of make a stack of them, right? So they're all sticky and ready to go because we're going to use them after the break. So questions and a label, over talker, storyteller, late, Always looking at their phone, those kind of things. You know, just go to town. I'm going to go ahead and start us in prayer, and then we're going to jump in. Dear Holy Father, I just thank you so much that you love us and that you designed each of us totally different and each of us with so many similarities. Um, and one of those similarities, Lord, we know is that you have designed us to grow in community, whether we are introverted or extroverted or an Enneagram 9 or 1 or 7 or whatever it may be, Lord, that you know that community can be one of the places that we, um, we grow, that we are sharpened, that we are supported, that we are loved and encouraged, and we're able to take your word and really assimilate it into our hearts. And so I pray tonight um, for each of the people here and for the people listening on the recording, Lord, that you would really reveal um, yourself to us and what you desire for the groups that we're involved in um, coming even this fall semester as we start a new ministry year. So Lord, we thank you for these opportunities. We thank you that you have brought us to this place, that you've seen something inside of us and that people have called out to lead these groups. And we pray that you would continue to just be very present with us and encouraging us in this way. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. I, I would love for you guys to shout out for me just some things. What are some ways that you personally have benefited from being in a small group? It can be a small group of any kind. It could be one you weren't in school, one of like a Facebook group of moms, whatever it may be. Um, what are some ways you've benefited from a small group? Encouragement? Friendship. Friendship. Realization that other people are going through similar, similar stages of life. Yep. Yep. We call that universality. What else? Fun. Fun. Mm hmm. Accountability. Mm hmm. Laughter. Mm hmm. What are some ways that you have been drained or hurt from being in small groups? My favorite is that my shoulders just went like this. Hmm. A lack of authenticity. Lack of authenticity. Inconsistent attendance. Yes, inconsistent attendance. 
share responsibility as a group, if that makes sense. It's like, uh, like bear the burden or like carry the load? Yes. Totally get it. Yep. Absolutely. What else? Lack of shepherding from leaders above. It's like an upline. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's like a one-sided, not a mutual. Mm-hmm. I think a big one for me has been... Um, feeling like I want something out of a group and like everyone else is there for a different purpose. I don't know how to describe that, but like, no, actually I'd like to be, you know, talking about what, well, I don't know, whatever it may be. And then feeling like everyone else is there for a different purpose. Lack of communication. Mm-hmm. So when you say that, like in the group time or like about like meeting times or like what? Uh, mostly with, you know, with amongst everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So probably connecting, too, would be another yeah, word for that, too. Like, people aren't yeah. just, like, gelling and, like, vibing with or each other. maybe they have other, you know, responsibilities that are in their heads mm. that are not focused. Yes. Like yes. Like, not everywhere you are, be all there, right? They're just not actually, their body is there, but their mind and their heart are not there. Well, it's just a lack of an others being invested. Yes. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard, too. You feel like you have a full investment in something, thank you, and you're like, but like to be here, I want to be here, but like everyone else is just kind of like halfway showing up. Yep. Why? Um, so again, the yellow yellow ones. Go ahead and write down questions. The other thing you could write down on, on there is what is one circumstance that you feel like you would be you would love to be equipped to deal with better. So when you're a leader, you've been a participant. Like, oh, I would just love to know how to handle the person who's always late and just shows up, you know, or the person who's always on their phone. So it can be one of the, it can be something like that too. So why do we do groups? Why as a church do we like do groups? Intimacy. Okay. To be able to like create a place for that or what part, what part of intimacy? Um, like you said, just like coming to church on Sunday. Where yes. Kind of like, hey, yeah. And yep. People say, oh, I just feel like I'm not connecting with people. You're like, that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What else? Mm-hmm. What else? Why else? Mm-hmm. Grow and pray. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we have a bunch of different groups represented here tonight. And so I'm going to try to be mindful of making sure that we're kind of like relating what I'm saying back to your specific area and arena of a small group. Because a children's small group is going to be different than a community group, which is going to be different than a women's Bible study group. But I'm hoping that we can kind of all brainstorm and really talk about this. And at the end, we're actually going to provide some time if there's someone else from your ministry to get together and be able to pray with them just over our small groups, kind of launching them for the year. Um, So tonight I've been really praying about how to balance between getting to the basics, which I would just love to see everyone on the same page on some basics, but then also equipping you and letting you walk away and not just be like, okay, yeah, now we're on the same page as basics. That was kind of boring. I know it can never be boring, but, and then, but also like that you really feel like, okay, that isn't, that is like something I need to continue to think about and I want to see implemented in my group. And so I would love to see you as we're talking tonight to just be really 
thinking about your group. If you, some of you, how many of you are returning group leaders? How do I ask this question? You're returning to a group you've already led. Okay. And how many of you are group leaders who you know you'll be leading a group that you have never led and you might not even know who's going to be in there yet? Okay. All right, that's me. Because um, we're going to be talking about kind of both of those situations. So, yes, so be able to have everyone who's a small group leader at Village Church be on the same page and then also continuing to develop our leadership skills. Small group leadership is something that you can kind of like study for like a really, really, really long time. So it's hard for me to decide what I put in, what I don't, but that's my heart, is that we all will work with something. So we're going to talk about a little bit about just me and my ministry for one second. So I love this word. This word comes from 1 John 10, 10. It should be on the front of your notes, I believe. And it says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. And this is really the verse that fuels my ministry and counseling. I would love to see everyone, individual, groups, marriages, families, children, parenting, any kind of relational aspect or group at the Village Church of Bartlett, see Jesus permeating their hearts as the most abundant option, right? And so we believe that this thief, right before this in the verse, it says, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I know that so many of us, so many of us see in relationships, in our own relationships, and as we watch other relationships at Village Church and in our community, we see him at work so well, right? Th seeking to steal, kill, and destroy joy, peace, love, and so many other things. And I do believe that in community, that it can be one of the most healing places for people to be able to experience Jesus as he says here, that he has come to give us a way of doing life in a different way that actually will bring peace and joy in so many different aspects into our hearts and into our lives. Um, the use of small groups of one kind or another seems to be a common element in all significant movements of the Holy Spirit throughout church history. And I think that's super important. People have looked at how you know, the church has grown and the church has flourished. That seems to just be one common theme. Pr you know, prayer would be another one, but most of the time it's not just praying as individuals, it's praying in groups, right? So groups still wins. <laughs> so right there too. And so when we look at how the Holy Spirit has moved in great works in the hi history of the church, um, that's just something that we see in common all the time. That's my heart. My heart is to be able to lead you guys in a way to be able to equip you to be able to be small group leaders who are going to be very intentional. I know I've, there have been way too many times in my life that I have led a small group where I'm just like flustered to get there and I'm not as prepared as I'd like to be and I am just trying to like show up and I would love to be in a place where our small group leaders were living a life that was different than that and we were able to pour and disciple and to be really loving well so many people that we are being charged to be over their hearts and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So our prayer I love Amy Carmichael, and I love her writings. And this is one of her prayers that I just really enjoy again and again, and I often use. Um, let's see. Meredith, will you read that for us? Yes. Love through me, love of God, make me like thy clear air, through which unhindered <coughs> colors pass as though it were not there, powers of the love of good. Depths of the heart divine, O love that faileth not, break forth. And I think as a small group leader, that's one of my prayers for you and one of the prayers for myself is that you could be like a prism. You could be like something like the clear air for, through which you are a conduit of the love of God reaching into the hearts and minds and souls and bodies of these people, that it is not hindered by something that is going on inside of you. It is not hindered by your lack of skill. It is not hindered by your like cranky attitude or your being hangry. 
Um, but it is something that is absolutely just being unhindered, and you are the conduit of the Holy Spirit to comfort, to bring peace, to bring love, um, and, the, and the conduit of Jesus to be able to love these people. So we're going to talk a little bit about the purpose of a small group leader. A small group leader is a co-worker with the Holy Spirit whose purpose is to facilitate an environment where the Holy Spirit moves freely and is unrestrained. This environment is a place where interpersonal communication is appropriate and processes are shared and challenged for the edification of the group. And so that is something I just want you guys to be thinking about is you're not just there to lead, you're not just there to get things accomplished, you're not just there to um, babysit, you know, to take care of everything. You are actually a conduit of the Holy Spirit and a co-worker of His. Goals for small groups of Village Church, we want to see people connecting and changing. And so that's something, those are two principles and two purposes I want you to just be continually thinking about. So, how, so that's for any group. We want to see people connecting, and because of that connection, because of what's going on there, we want to see them changing. I believe that groups at Village Church are a place to taste a piece of community um, that Jesus has orchestrated and to invite other people into our lives. Now, every ministry that is here, your group is going to have a little bit of a specific twist on that purpose, which we're going to talk about a little bit more. Um, but that is just kind of a common purpose for all of them, is that they're here for connecting and changing hearts. Small groups are not the same as Bible study. So especially for women's Bible study, when we break up into small group time, that is not just for their Bible study. Um, the leader is not a lecturer in any of these groups, but the leader is uh, someone who invites the community to live out the word and figure out how we're going to process that. It's also not just like a social club. I think a lot of times that can be one of the things that can get to me quickly. I can be like, this is great, and then think, wait, why are we doing this? Um, and a lot of times you'll see in attendance, if people feel like it's more than a social club, that's one of the number one identifiers of attendance drop is because people are like, okay, well, that's actually not as important, so I can like not go to that or I can cancel that out because it's not actually like something I need, it's something that's like fun. And so if you see attendance is dropping, it's being very inconsistent or whatever it may be, that's a little thing I want you to have in the back of your mind is like, okay, well maybe this has become too much of a optional thing rather than some place where people are seeing their hearts be challenged and grown um, and held accountable. Um, I think a lot of that too goes into how prayer requests are handled. I'm kind of like a stickler for prayer requests that happen in small group times. I think that there are places and times to be able to share about, you know, whatever it may, whatever it may be, what, you know, I can't think of anything. It's not gonna be offensive. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> anything that's going on in your life, um, all small groups are not always that place. And so there's a way to be able to share a prayer request without having to share the whole story, right? And take up that time. So I know a lot of small groups, I love it. If you have like a group text and that's where maybe you can share the whole story and people can respond to that. But there's always limited time available in the group setting. And so it's like, but how, but how can we make that prayer request what I call, and I'll think of a better word for this someday, like a spiritual prayer request. Like how do I need to pray for Lauren in the midst of that based upon what we've been studying, right? You know, if we're studying the armor of God and now Lauren needs to be able to bring like, um, you know, not her righteousness, but Jesus's righteousness into the situation, that's what we want to be channeling that prayer request through. And I think as small group leaders, that's one thing I want you guys all like burn into your retina, which is like, okay, how do I encourage people to take the hot mess of whatever circumstances going on and, and use whatever it is that we're learning, right? And be able to combine them for our growth. And I think as a shepherd and as a leader and as a small group leader, that's one of your main agendas and one of your main things is to be able to help people combine these things. Because it's, and one of the things I want you to see, so when people start storytelling in a group, it's either because they're bored 
most of the time though, it's because they're trying to get to that, right? Like, okay, I don't know why I'm telling this story right now, but it triggered something in me, right? And what, what's been talked about really has a correlation to what this person is talking about. And so I think as we seek to be active listeners, which we're going to talk more about how to do that, we have the ability to say, okay, I, I can see what's happening here. This isn't just a random rabbit trail, right? This is also something that like maybe the Lord is stirring inside of you, but you don't have the discernment or like the oversight yet to be able to connect that back to what we were talking about. And so I think as small group leaders, that's one of the biggest blessings that you can offer someone is to be able to say like, do you think maybe that story is going through your mind because it's relating back to, you know, whatever it is that we just learned about. So connecting, that's a big part of, I think, your job. We're going to talk more about purpose, but what small groups at Village Church are is we really want them to be, I think Lauren had said it too, and in some things we thrive on, is that you are building a relational bridge with each person in your small group that is strong enough to hold the weight of truth. And that strong enough to hold the weight of love, strong enough to hold the weight of so many different things that a community brings to each other. And so if you're in a group, right, that has not started yet, or if you're in a group that you are returning to lead again, I want you to really begin to look at each person in that group. So if Shelly and Meredith in my group, I want to be thinking about, like, what is my relational bridge like to Meredith, okay? And if I was a, a bridge builder person, I would be thinking, right, like, I'd be having questions. I don't actually know what questions I'd be asking, but the ones I came up with, right? I'd be observing, like, okay, how does the bridge go? Is it strong? Or, like, I'd be running analytics on it. I'd be running tests to be able to identify what needs to grow, what I maybe forgot to put in place in the first time, you know, first place, or what it needs to be able to be more stable. And I think I'd love for each of you to be looking at each member in your groups, thinking about, okay, how do I make bridges to this person? Okay, that person's a little bit more introverted, so I'm going to need to create more quiet space for them to be able to come out, right? Okay, that person is, um, you know, doesn't know how to, like, respond to text messages. I'm going to try to call that person out so they can remember to like be a group participant or whatever it may be. So really beginning to look at these relational bridges and invite them towards relationship on an individual basis. Um, so thinking about what your bridges are like, I'd love for that to be a question that you have in your mind. Okay, what are my bridges like with the people that I'm serving, the people that I'm ministering to? Real quick, what kind of tools and or materials go into building strong relational bridges? Time. Time. Good probing questions. Good listening skills. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice. Absolutely. And when I think of sacrifice, I often think about it's really beginning to look at um, our youth pastor in high school would tell us that the friend is actually always more important than the friendship. And so if you see that person doing something that's hurting them or that is not the best for them, but you know they're going to be super, like, frustrated or hurt or whatever, maybe just by you bringing it up, even if you're in the most loving way, right? He always told us that actually they're more important in what's going on in their life than the relationship that's going on. And I've used that time and time again, but I think as a small group leader, that's a huge thing. Oftentimes I've had people in my small group leader who are, in my small group who are choosing to live in blatant sin. And it's awkward and it's hard. And I think it's so interesting that Michael taught this morning on Shalom, because I was like, that is so much of what being a small group leader is, is bringing peace into chaos, right? Um, there's a shirt that I really want that comes up on my Facebook ads all the time that says chaos coordinator. I really want it. Um, and that's why I kept thinking, like, now I need that shirt. Um, and so I think when we think about that, though, how, how is it that these materials and tools go into these different bridges, right? 
and what that looks like and how we bring shalom to these situations and how we call those things out when people are living in sin, but our relational bridge is strong because we've, they know that we just love them, right? And we're looking inside of our own hearts and we are just seeking to bring the peace of God into this situation and call them forth to something else, to the most like loving place that there could be. Any other tools or materials for bridges? Yes. I think responsive. I don't, I don't know what word to put around that, but like, I know I've had different leaders over me at different times in my life and you like put something out there and they're like, oh, and you're like, oh, that was my whole heart right there. Actually I laid bare and you got an O two days later. Um, and so I think that like, so that's commitment, I guess, but it's also like, you know, like a f- yeah, yeah. And like you're for them, right? Like that's a huge thing. I want to know people are like for me. Even if that's like calling me out to the table, if I know they're for me, then I'm like, all right, great. Because I know you're like, you love me. So you're for me. So yes, continuing to think about the rela- relational bridges. What tools you're putting into that? What materials you can be using? I love what you guys all said. Time, intentionality, some oh, good probing questions, empathy, listening, honesty, Boldness, vulnerability, and sacrifice. And we're actually going to talk about those like a little bit more in depth too, which is pretty fun that you guys named all of the outline of the rest of the time. Um, and so again, so we're going to talk about group purpose in a little bit, but I want you to be thinking in your mind, okay, what is the purpose of the group I'm going to be leading? Is it for prayer? Is it for processing? Is it for accountability? Because not every group is going to have every one of these measures all the time. And so we're going to talk about group covenants and how people need to know what the group is about so that they can like, do it and feel comfortable, but just for you to be thinking right now, okay, what is the group I'm going to be leading for? So a couple of presuppositions about small groups that I want just to make sure we're all on the same page. Small groups exist from God and they are the human community, I think, heaven reflected in, in the way that we interact with each other. Small groups do exist in a state of sin. So that'd be awesome, right? If like somehow magically like our small groups got to be totally exempt from the sin that we experience in the rest of the world, but they're not. Um, small groups are trapped in fear of being alone and fear of intimacy. So these are two things that we are constantly fighting in our small group environments. We are constantly fighting every individual person's want to like sometimes just retreat and not be known and to hide, right? And to shove things into the dark and let the dark fester and grow them. And the fear of not knowing how to connect or, or, or the benefits of connection. And even people know the benefits of connection. Sometimes it's still just really hard in different seasons of life to make happen. We also want to understand that God enters into small groups and calls us out of ourselves. I do think that it is one of the primary ways that God seeks to call us out. If you're married in here, you know that when you got married, you, you did not know how phenomenal of a sinner that you were. At least I don't. I had no clue until I got married. Wow, I'm actually a phenomenal sinner. Like, I am so selfish. I had no clue. And it, marriage, in that, in that community, and that relational bond, that just exposes. Same with parenting. Same with community. Same with small groups. So I think that's a big one too. God enters into the small groups and calls us out of ourselves. And it's not to feel better about ourselves, but it is to literally call us out of ourselves. So a lot of time I think people feel like a tension inside of a small group and they're like, oh, this must not be a good thing. <laughs> Same in a marriage, right? And people have been married for like three to five months. And they're like, um, this is hard. And I'm like, perfect. That's exactly what you want it to be because this is about God refining you. And if you've ever watched like a goldsmith work on gold and purify it and like liquidize it and like melt it under hot fire or like, you know, round some kind of piece of wood out, like it looks like a really smooth, um, lavish process, right? Those are very like nitty gritty, rough processes. And so sometimes I think that's what 
this feels like too. God calls groups together and then visionary leaders who hear God. He's over all of that. Small groups exist to evidence the character and work of God in their midst. Does that mean that all small groups that build church are going to be perfect and have fabulous leaders and all that kind of stuff? Right, of course. No. Um, and so, but that is at the same time different things that we want to be in agreement of. It's okay, Lord, yeah, we see that you are going to evidence um, your character in our midst. And hopefully we can all, even as leaders, continue to see God working in that and continue to see him working in that. So leading a small group, as we talked a little bit before, the Holy Spirit is your number one group member. And if we lose sight of this, I think that we tend to act totally different. Paul Tripp and um, Gary Thomas in their parenting books, Sacred Parenting and the 14 Gospel Principles for something, parenting maybe, um, they talk a lot about how the Holy Spirit is with you. And as a young mom, I remember reading this one devotional and being like, actually, he's always in the room. So God is in the room. So you need to remember that. And for some reason, that one truth triggered huge changes in me. Because I think a lot of times I bet like overwhelmed or like, I don't even know how to deal with this situation or like I'm at my wits end or whatever it may be. And it's like, no, actually God is right by you. So you never get to continue in that feeling. You need to be able to realize that like here he is actually. So he's going to give you everything that you need. Same thing with being a small group leader. Like the Holy Spirit is a group member, right? And so like he is pervasive in all of our groups wanting to give us and equip us what we need to love on people unto Jesus and to grow our own hearts. And so when you're in that moment where you're like, oh, you know, and you don't, you don't know exactly what to say and respond. I think those are the moments when the Lord is like, awesome, because let's get this on because I'm going to give you this answer. And hopefully all of you have had the opportunity to be able to experience that moment of like, I got nothing, right? And then the Lord just like, you, you know, pours himself into you and you're like, I don't even know what we're saying right now, but I want to minister to these people. And that dependence and that need for him is exactly where he loves to show up. So yes, he's an unseen but present group member and the leader. We get to serve as the co-leaders. Our primary role is to facilitate the Holy Spirit's ministry and the members' lives um, in what we're doing. And I think that that is just a huge blessing. And so one of the questions I'd love for you to write down there for you to be thinking about your own heart, heart is like, so what are some things that maybe I do to keep my heart from the Holy Spirit working in it in these ways? Am I too confident? Am I too self-dependent? Do I love my own righteousness too much that I'm like, I got this Holy Spirit I'll totally just lead this group. That could be me sometimes. Um, and so figuring out what is it that I might do that really kind of quenches the Holy Spirit, doesn't invite him to be a, like the leader where I just get to, you know, work on his coattails and see what he's already doing in the group and kind of show up. Second point is that we celebrate our smallness before God, which enables us to see God's bigness in our midst. One of the things I love to be able to see is that our, inadequ our inadequacy is our first qualification. That creates our smallness again before God and elevates him to being big. And as we call upon his name and we trust him to be able to do marvelous and big things, it is so fun to be able to watch him show up. One of the things, my grandpa passed away last December and my dad's dad. And one of the things that I know about him, but I learned at his memorial, was I loved, I loved, loved hearing people talk about him because I didn't get to know him living here and him living in California. I didn't get to know him on these daily basis kind of things. And so one of the things that so many people shared is that he would continually be like, all right, I guess we got to, and this is him, he worked for um, Dayspring, right? Yeah. Or whoever like gives all like the Christian jewelry and like all the Christian junk that's like at the bookstores. 
that's who he worked for my whole life. And so he'd be, yes, like, let go like God and like the little maze that you shake. And then he's like, God will lead your path straight. You know, all those kind of things. And so, so but he would always tell people, WGW. And so people were talking about this. And I was like, what are, what are, what are we talking about? And so finally someone got up and they shared what it meant. And they're like, that Vern would always tell them, actually, we're just going to step back and we're going to watch God work. Because that's where like our smallness is like, so fabulous is yeah we have no idea what's going to happen with that and that is an absolute hot mess so let's just give it to God and we're going to sit there and we're going to watch God work and that's kind of been my theme of this year is taking that to be able to say all right Lord that is that is so true like how can I just stop trying to control that how can I stop trying to like meddle in something after I've given it to you and take it back and try to fix it myself but how can I continue to watch God work and when we celebrate our smallness before God that does enable us to see his bigness and to be able to watch him work and to be able to see what he wants to do. So as we walk in the presence of Christ and we're indwelt with his Holy Spirit, here's a couple things I want you to really remember that you can count on. Number one, he indwells. Number two, he guides. Number three, he teaches. Number four, he convicts. And that's just, do you ever, I'm sure, maybe I'm the only Judgmental person. So you're in a small group of people, right? And you see these patterns, these things they're doing or completely over it sin. And you're like, I wish the power of fiction for this, right? But it's just not, like the Lord has not worked that in their heart yet. And I love just getting to sit back and be like, okay, Lord, but actually you want this more than I even do. And so I'm just going to watch you work. And I can continue to tell myself that, you know what? He's going to be the one who convicts. He intercedes. He enables. He unifies. And so I think these are super important truths. These aren't just like words on this screen and words on your piece of paper that you're filling in. But I would love for you to be thinking about maybe circle right now one where you're like, you know what? I think I take that on a little bit too much for myself. Maybe in my relationships, maybe if you've never been a small group leader before, you don't know what's going to show up in the small group, but you can know, you know what? I tend to just hold on to that one a little bit more. And just be thinking, what is it that I want to be able to see and watch God work in his bigness and make sure that I'm not taking and doing my own? So we're just going to talk a little bit about the psychology of groups. Um, so I love this part. You guys actually um, hit the nail on the head when we talked about all these things. I always thought this was funny. This is like a really long, the guy's name, I don't even remember how to say it, but it's a book by, the guy's name is Y-A-L-O-M. It's been a long time since I took group dynamics. And he did this long course of study on, like, what are the benefits of groups? And I feel like you guys could have just sat in the room and come up with them. So I always think it's funny, but here we go. Um, the, but these are important. The first, and, maybe, and sometimes it gives vocabulary to know these to be able to share them with other people. Like, why, why would I want to be in a community group? Every Kindle's hope. Um, so, like, it has this concept of, like, my life can get better. There is somewhere I can turn. There is somewhere I can go. This factor allows high potential for people healing and growing. This is so true, especially, I think, in our community group. Many people who, when they came into our community groups, they didn't know where else to go. They didn't know who else to talk to. They didn't know how to go. They didn't know how to connect with people. And so I think that is a beautiful, wonderful opportunity. I don't know what the O is there for. It gives them a time and a place where they know that they can experience their pain or whatever it may be. They can share their burdens. They can learn. They can grow. They can be real. They can be authentic and share that with other people. I just read an article, I was thinking about reading it tonight, but I decided not to, about the frustration. It was like the, the mommy friend or something like that. And it was a frustration that so many women in our world share, share and it was shared on, you know, Barla Area Mom's Facebook page, who everyone loves in here. Um, 
And I was talking about, yeah, like people were talking about like, I don't know how to make, like I don't, how do you find friends? How do you connect with people? And I was like, that is the saddest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like I've actually literally, I don't think I ever had that thought. Like being in a world with like humans all around you and being like, I can't figure out one way to like make a friend. And I was like, oh my goodness. And so I think just there, we have to remember sometimes that these groups are powerful places for people to be able to know, but I can go there and I can be loved on or I can go there and I can experience just like the community of Jesus. Second is the relief of universality. Our human experience is such that we think that no one has ever had an experience. I don't, had anyone ever had that thought before? Okay, well, I have like lots of times in my life, especially when it's married, first married. I, I was like, I don't think, I don't even know who I would talk to. I bet no one's ever felt like this before. And then you go on you're like, wait, you feel that too? Or like your kids do that too? Or like, you know, whatever it may be. And so just to know that, oh, it takes such a burden off, right? To be able to normalize it. Not that it makes it better, not that it makes it okay, but just being able to normalize it, that they've survived, right? And that they can grow. And I think as small groups, that's such a powerful, that's the power of our own stories, being able to enter into other people's lives, to be able to share that as hope and to be able to share that as like growing. Third, they relate while learning about relating. That's a funny statement, right? So chances are when someone has something to learn, they have someone in the room with which they can help learn what they need to, okay? So I would call this a sanctification principle. So many times when people are married, I really think it's the Lord's hand just like absolutely orchestrating the dynamic of that relationship. Like the very same weakness is the very same strength, right? Or whatever may be overlapping things and it bothers you. And sometimes it's the very thing that attracted you to that same person, right? Where you're like, oh, I love that they are doing this or whatever it may be. And then after like a year, you're like, for the love, just do it the way I do it, right? But a lot of times that's because I think the Lord is like, because I want both to be sanctified in that, right? And so that's a lot of what this is talking about is that everyone, oftentimes what the Lord sets up groups again and again, I'll see so many times that in that group is exactly what that person needs. Now they might not know it, they might not like it, and they may not want to run from it, but it is oftentimes exactly what they need to grow in sanctification. Say that I always define sanctification as the process of God making us more like Jesus, right? Like he's like, we're just going to make you a little bit more like Jesus. Um, groups recreate the social world. They allow group members to feel safe, yet interacting with other people, and they receive help from others, not just a group leader. Opportunity to set goals and work towards them with support. And so that's just the general part of the group. All right, so the, another one that I put on here too on my notes is um, it should strengthen one another to love the world around us more. And so I think whatever your group is, it should be feeding into the souls of, and hearts of people so that they can go out and love other people more. Who has ever experienced a vortex of love? A vortex of love, right? You've probably seen this in like relationships when they're sin, right? Okay, so like love is always meant to grow and then give out, right? Can I get an amen? Like marriage, parenting, like community groups, any kind of group. And so a vortex of love is when we're in a group and we just suck it all in and we just suck it all in and we create a vortex and all of the love that we have just goes back into our relationship. I've worked with so many couples and I'm like, oh, you're a vortex. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, because you're not, your love is never to do anything else. It's just to like give it to the other person, which actually in the end is not about that other person. It's about yourself, right? It's just a selfish kind of centered love. I think for groups, that's a big thing that I want people to think about too, that our group is never a vortex, but our group is loving each other. So then we go and pour more love into the rest of the world and the kingdom of God. So I think I might skip to here and we're going to go back. Group stages. This is super important. So who, who's ever seen like the stages of grief? Anyone ever seen that? Raise hands, hands help me out. Okay, who's ever seen, I'll just go with that one. So there's so many different things in the world where people have stuff, right? They've been able to break them down into stages. Does that always help? No. 
However, sometimes it really does. And so when you're grieving something, it does not a huge loss. It is possible to be like, right? Like, no, it's not. But at the same time, you can know, wait, if I'm in denial, okay, and I think, that, like, I don't want this to have happened. I don't want to know the ramifications of this person, not knowing where maybe. Sometimes it is helpful to know, okay, well, that's the first step, so I'm going to move on from here. Group stages is super important. I don't, this is not in your notes. You probably want I would like to write it down. I think I would write it down. Um, so these are the five group stages. Forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. Um, they tried, but it didn't have the exact rhyme part. Um, and so what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about is this first group stage, because that is such a critical starting point to get a group started off correctly. But I'm just going to give a quick overview of what these mean. Forming is basically the time when you are setting up an environment and the atmosphere of trust building. Um, it is characterized by mild tension, actually this is all in here, guarded interchange, the fear of rejection, concerns with inconclusion, constrained interactions, anxiety, uncertainty. And you can kind of see that when you see people walk into a group. <laughs> I know I always feel that. I hate, hate. I don't, I think I'm an introvert, but I have these certain things in life that I would rather run far away from. One of them would be going to a group on the first meeting. So then when I'm the group leader, I'm always like, okay, right, here we are. Um, because it's just like everyone, because I think I, what everyone's bringing to the table and I'm like, this is awesome. So when, but when you're in that stage, right, that gives you the ability. But then when I'm like, oh no, I'm the leader. Okay, I'm the leader. To be able to quell those anxieties, to try and make it hospitable. So like you cannot go over the top on the first meeting of a group. You can't, like, you can't be too kind. You can't, too, you know, be too warm, be stepping out. I think especially in women's ministry and Bible study, sometimes it's hard because we can all be in this room, if you know, happening around these tables. And so we have to figure out ways, I think, to be really warm, to be inviting, to be connecting with each person in our group, which we're going to talk about in a little way. If you're in other ministries, that's something you have to be thinking about is like, okay, how can I make sure that like I am trying to see these, right, and then speak at least hospitality into them and warmth and acceptance, even though I don't know exactly what's going on. Um, and so this forming stage continues. It's when we get to know the purpose, we get to know each other, and we get to know that we are safe. Um, the leader is expected and encouraged to provide that direction, right? And so thinking about that, you got to make sure in every group that you're in that you are helping them know the purpose, you are helping them know each other, and you're helping them know that they are safe. So you're expected and encouraged, again, to provide members with the direction and personal safety, to be benevolent, and to be competent. That's a huge part of it, too, is like, okay, I just want to be prepared, and I want to be welcoming you into this space. Um, we'll talk a little bit about confidentiality and covenant in a moment. I'm just going to do quickly on to the rest of the group sages. Storming is the second one. And so when you begin to see any kind of conflict or, like, headbutting going on in your group or maybe, like, people talking over each other or, well, I think this, or whatever it may be. Actually, yeah, that's a good one. Um, this is a time in a, in a group dynamic where there is both conflict and competition. People are getting a little bit more confident, and so they're trying, to, they're trying their, like, handouts and domination, right? And so this is actually a great stage because every group has this, and you know that you can't move forward until you have this stage. So don't be scared of it. Invite it and be like, oh, okay, we're storming. This will be great. But however, many, many, many groups get stuck here. Kind of just like this tension and like lack of, like expectations aren't being met and people are disappointed and they're like looking to you to do something about it and it's not being done. And so it is very potential that many groups, and I watch groups all the time, get stuck in this stage. So you have to be thinking about that. Okay, this is good, but we want, like the goal of this stage is to like move forward, kind of. It's kind of like anxiety. I think the Lord gives us anxiety for our purpose 
So I don't want a world necessarily without anxiety, but if we're not paying attention to what it's trying to draw us back to, um, then we've missed the point. But when we embrace anxiety, it allows us to move forward into something much deeper and much more beautiful. And so, yeah, conflict, competition, all those kind of statements. I think you guys can all probably <laughs> sit here and be like, oh, yes, I know exactly what that looks like. Domination. And so people, and then, but so it's not always allowed. Sometimes it's people are begin to retreat, right? People begin to get more quiet. They came in kind of like warm or kind of nervous, and now they're just really quiet, and they're sitting to the side. That's a lot of it, too. Um, so it's finding your voices. And so as you see that happening as a leader, your biggest goal is to be able to be like, okay, actually, everyone's voice here is super valuable and creating a space for everyone's voice because that's how you're going to grow to the third stage, which is norming. And so there's a whole study on group norms, which we're not going to talk a lot about tonight, because um, if we can make it through the first two, we'll come back and do that one together. Um, and so norming, though, I'll just give you like an idea. This is like the beautiful part of the group and then goes into performing. That's the absolute like, yay, part of a group. Norming is though when you're like, you're being become cohesive. The morale is high. You're adapting to one another. You're getting used to each other's voices. Okay, yes, I understand that you feel like that, but I also have this opinion, right? And so you're learning how to like value each personality and value each person in that group but you're also not being shut down and not having your expectations go completely unmet. You become more flexible, you become interdependent on this stage, and trust is just going up and up and up. So you could probably see text message threads of like small groups or community groups, and you could probably begin to see like when these switches happen and these ebb and flows in different groups, and it's a beautiful process. And so I want you as a small group leader to just kind of always be aware of it, like okay, we want to really be aiming for the next stage, which is performing, which is a terrible word to pick for this. Um, when it is competent, there's a lot of productivity doing whatever it is that your purpose of your group is, you are like meeting that purpose, right? So if it's accountability and it's happening and people are being honest and people are holding each other's boo heinies to the fire and they are like in their lives and they are loving on them well. Or if it's processing, people are asking really good questions, which we're gonna talk about in a little bit and drawing people out. Or if it's encouragement, you see people writing letters or text messages or emails or dropping off small gifts or whatever it may be. Like they are actively performing, right, their purpose. People are fulfilling their individual giftings into the group and they're loving kind of being in the group. And five is just adjourning, which is kind of a silly word just to be able to be like all groups actually need like end of game plan, right? And so community groups is a good example. We have a beginning and then there's like an end. Um, and so for you to be thinking about, so how do I live with that end in mind? And everyone knows and expects that to be able to come. And it's actually something that like fuels the group in a positive direction is using the end date. Same with women's groups. There's an end date in sight. So also be thinking about, so like if you're a community group maybe, or I can't think of any groups in here besides community groups that are having going and then will continue. Although community groups probably change a little bit right at the beginning of the semester. And so be thinking about, so where is your group in those stages, right? Or where was your old community group? Where did you guys leave off? Or where was your last women's Bible study small group? And just be thinking about, so kind of analyzing where you're at in that process and then trying to figure out what that looks like. A couple of different things on um, confidentiality and covenant. Confidentiality. So one of the things we really want at Village Church is for people to feel safe and confident, which is where confidentiality comes from, um, in the groups that they're in to be loved and to be cared for. I'm not a huge, like, um, this is something I think I had to learn very well as a therapist, is just the value that some people have for confidentiality, because although I value it for other people, it's just not a huge thing in myself, in and of myself, 
I feel like I really try to be, like I know to hide, oftentimes, I've seen it so many times, to hide things, like it just grows, and it grows in the dark. And I think a lot of people, if they don't know that, and they don't know that trust, and they don't know the beauty of having people in their lives that they can trust with like the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? They have to be welcomed into a space where they can be real and be authentic, and they need to know what that love feels like. And so that confidentiality piece creates such a good marker of that. And so I really think that most groups, I can't think of any exceptions, maybe I can tell me later, at Village Church, there gets to be the opportunity for a confidentiality. Hey, you know what? You, whatever you say stays here, unless you're going to kill yourself or kill someone else, and we're going to have other conversations, which we'll talk about at the end. But whatever it is, then we can, we can work on this. Like, we can have this. You don't have to worry about me telling my husband. You don't have to worry about me telling this person or whatever it may be. And if you want to talk to your husband about it or you want to talk to Pastor Tim about it or you want to go talk to whoever about it, you're going to ask them. You're going to say, you know what? I'm just burdened by that, and I just feel like I'd like to get some input in that. Do you mind if I just go talk to whatever, that person? And then you're only going to go talk to that person whose name you named, right? So really beginning to create confidentiality inside that in a place where people are like, okay, I don't even know what to do with this. I don't really want the whole world knowing, but I'd like to be able to talk about it here. And so one of the things I think that that can, where that can happen is in a group covenant. Um, I'm a huge group covenant person because it allows us to all get on the same page and know what our purpose is how we're going to accomplish that purpose, and what that's going to look like. And so I, I don't know if I included them in your notes. I don't think today. Okay. So there's one at the end, and then I pulled up two more that I put on here, which are examples of covenants. And so I'm just going to read through these real quick, and I'll talk about that a little bit more. This is really little. Ooh, okay. So yeah, two examples here. And then there's another one from Revive Our Hearts stapled to the back of your package. So it says, we agree to the following rules. Priority. Because we believe in the value of community, we agree to give priority to our group meetings. If we are running late, we will call ahead. How many people would love to be in a group where that happened? I would. Even though I'm personally probably running late, I would still love it. Um, confidentiality. We agree that whatever is shared here stays here. This includes what is shared through phone calls, emails, etc. We want this group to be a safe place to grow. Participation. We to encourage, support, and stand behind one another, choosing to see ourselves linked together. Accessibility. We agree to give the call in times of need, even in the middle of the night. But we will seek to be open and honest with each other. Our group, our small group is a place where we can take off our masks, be ourselves, and be accepted for who we are. Six, respect. We agree to communicate in ways that are respectful and to give advice woo, only when it is requested. We, that's actually one of my greatest hobbies is looking at Bible area moms and people are just like sharing something. And then like 75 people give their advice and I was like, actually, they didn't ask for advice. Um, and I, I'm totally terrible at it too, so... Um, we will strive to be able to be available to one another and listen, encourage, support, and tell the truth in loving ways. I guess that'd be seven. Open chair. We agree to keep an empty chair for others and seek to reach out to people like us who need this place of caring and growing. Eventually, we plan to reproduce our group. Um, here's another example. We agree to be on time in order to respect others. We agree to keep things said and group confidential. We agree to attend group as faithfully as possible, making it a priority. We agree to participate in group while being careful not to dominate. Woo, that's a good one to put in there, in my opinion. We agree to treat one another with respect at all times, especially in times of disagreement or conflict. I, so in my like services agreement with the clients that I see, I have a conflict statement that's very similar to that. And I think that is so necessary in all small groups. So it's like, here's what you're going to do. If you're mad at me for something, you're going to tell me, right? And you're going to sign your name to that, and then you're going to do it, right? You're not going to go talk to other people. You're not going to not come to group because you don't want to look at my face. You're going to look at my face, and you're going to tell me what I've done. And so I think conflict statements and small group covenants are super important. We agree to help one another and be available to one another outside of group meetings whenever possible. And so these are just some examples of that. I love 
way some of these are worded, different points and different things. So whatever it is that your ministry is, whatever it is that your small group is, I think that covenants are so important because they put us on the same page, they set the expectations, and they know what this group is for. So if your like heart is designed to get the highest of accountability and you're in, you know, a women's small group and that's not the purpose of that group, your heart is going to be disappointed, right? Because you don't know what that is. And so when we can enter into groups and be like, no, I need this or I want that. And then you can know what group you need to go to based upon what the purpose is also. So that's a big thing is thinking about what your group's purpose is, which some ministries, right, they're going to hand that down to you, what your purpose is. And some ministries have, you know, like a little bit of freedom to be able to create what you want that to look like. So again, in this pre-group work, thinking about building trust, how you're building these relational bridges to people, the confidentiality. I'm a huge person of making sure you contact group members ahead of time to be able to let them know that you're their leader and that you're excited for what you anticipate God working in. That, that's like with teachers, right? Like hopefully you, your teachers contact kids before the school year or they send them a little card in the mail or you know have a party or whatever. So it's like, okay, I know what to expect. I know who to go to. I'm going to know that one person's name and I'm going to be able to talk to them at least. It really, really makes an inviting atmosphere. And share with the group members the purpose for the group, right? This group is to yada, 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 right? Because then it's like, okay, now I know why I'm here. So if I need something else that this group isn't committing to as the purpose, great, I'll be in this group and I'll go find someone else in my life that I can go and get that from. The other thing about the pre-group work is for you to be prepared. Oh, I wish I could pay people for this. To look over the questions, to know, to act, like to have them prepared, like how you're going to ask them if you're like, that is the silliest question in the whole world. Cross it off and come up with another one or whatever it may be. If you feel like, if you feel like, and for Women's Bible Study, I wrote a lot of questions. So you have every freedom in the world to deem it as a silly question. And if you feel like you're like, I don't want to talk about that, then realize it's your own heart. And if not, then go for it and cross it off, right? So be prepared. Know the questions. So you're, you're equipped with them and you're a ready tool to be able to talk through them. So yeah, so covenants, again, they can usually be a set in conversation. I really like when covenants are written because then everyone can take a copy home and you can be like, remember when we told you not to dominate um, and be able to like go with that. All covenants should talk about the commitment like this, these ones did, how long it's going to last, what you expect from people, what to do in conflict, like I said. I'm just reviewing my notes here. Confidentiality. I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's important in this day and age to put what you're going to do with your phone during your time in there. It'd be like, we ask that like you put, turn your phones on silent and if you need to address something, you're more than welcome to do that in the hall. Whatever it is, whatever you come up with you think is appropriate for your member. But how many of you have been in a group and you're like, everyone's on their phone and their Bible apps are very interactive, right? Uh, <laughs> and like, that's what I think all the time. I'm like, wow, your Bible app has like games on it or something. Oh no, where's that Bible app? Um, and I'm totally guilty of that too. So, but asking, so in that too, I would, I want, I want to call it like your phone statement. I'd call it like the concept of being all here, right? We ask that every member is, you know, everywhere they are, that they're all there. And so whatever it takes to put away as a distraction, such as a phone, we ask that you would continue to be all here. So again, purposes are going to vary for study, for processing, for prayer, for accountability, but all groups have the ability and the option, hopefully to be able to get to know God in a more personal way to understand what we believe, to connect with people like we talked about before, and to grow. And I like to have fun, too. I think that's a good one to be able to go on there also. Um, so another thing I think that's important about the covenant is to say it at the beginning and then just choose, like, every three weeks we just kind of go over it. Because what's the most awkward thing in the world, right? It's like someone, someone, the week, like <laughs> someone the week before dominated the conversation the whole time, and the next week you start group, you're like, I just want to review our covenant. It does say to make sure that you're not dominating the conversation, please, right? So, like, if you just have that kind of set up in the ebb and flow of what you do, it's just going to be a general reminder to people all the time, and you're not going to have to have those, like, awkward is awesome moments where you are kind of calling that out. 
So again, revisit it from time to time with your group. I think about every three weeks or once a month or something like that, if you're meeting every week, is a good time to be like, hey, we're just going to look over this real quick. That's what I do. And I always tell people, just so you know, we're not going to just throw this covenant aside. We're going to review it from every time to time so they don't think, what did someone do wrong? Why are we talking about this again? <laughs> and again, um, we're going to talk a lot about dynamics, but in that covenant, just continue to watch God work in the dynamics that are present. So let me think about this here. Post-group work, a couple things. I just would love for everyone to making sure it is so important, not just in the pre-group work, but in the post, like after you've met that first time, to connect those people during that first week. I cannot tell you, it is, it is work, it is work. But it is so important for you to be having that midweek connection, right, and then pursuing them again after that. And whatever it is, if it's working with kids, like sending postcards, like, you know, every kid thinks that mail is like the best thing in the entire world. I actually think that mail is the best thing in the entire world. Um, sending postcards, sending emails, sending pictures, whatever it may, may be, and just letting them know that you are thinking about them, that this is not just something that happens, you know, on Wednesdays between whatever and whatever, but you actually are carrying them in your heart. You're carrying them before the throne and you're choosing life with them. When people are missing, this is huge. Like, I get so anxious about this one because all the time I'll be like, have you seen this person? Like if they're in their small group, they're like, no, I'm like, oh, have they been to your group in like, no, they haven't been in our group in six weeks. Oh, well, if you talk to them about where they are, like, no, I was thinking about doing that. And I'm like, yeah, they might be dead. And so I, was, I, was, I would love for it to just be a norm at Village of Bartlett. Like, someone misses one thing, like, they're getting a phone call. I'd probably ignore your phone call, I'll be honest. Or, you know, they, they're getting a text message, right? I don't answer the phone. Um, and so just thinking about what that is. And you're like, no, if you're not here and you didn't tell me, oh, you're, I'm going to pursue you because you could be dead laying in a gutter. Um, and we're not going to let that happen without knowing. <laughs> that is how I think. Michael, you're not home. Are you in a gutter? Um, no, I'm just talking to someone. Should have known. Um, so just the calling when missing, that's just a huge group norm. That's something people come to expect, right? And if you're not good at that, like, I can be really bad at that. Then you find someone in your group, you're like, ooh, you're a good hound dog. I shall give you that responsibility of making sure you're on then and then just kind of reporting back to me and seeing what happens. I think that's, that is so life-giving and so shepherding. Um, we are to take a break. Questions you can ask me. Otherwise, we are going to take a break for a couple of minutes, and then we're going to come back. How many times do you enter a room, and this is like what you see when you enter a room? Oh, a label? <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're self-deprecating, actually. You, I can't, I actually don't have this much eyesight, I guess. <laughs> you're bubbly. Yes, yeah, you're blind. You have bangs that cover your label. Um, you're an encourager. Oh. It's so oh, and you're amazing. Thanks for a lot. Thanks for These were nice labels. I was like, that's not what I... I actually went through them, and I was like, I got to add a couple negative ones in here. Um, who enters the room sometimes? And you're like, okay, yeah, you actually talk too much. You actually, like... Never know how to be quiet. Yeah, but you label them. So it's not also just that you judge them at like one point in time. It's like you now like have encompassed this person is like, that's how you're going to respond. You're going to talk too much. You're going to ask too many questions um, or whatever it may be. Um, I think a lot of times people who, yeah, <laughs> you're going to leave before it's time to clean up. You know, all these different things. I think especially when we're, like, per people who have, a, I think, a God-given gift of perception, I really think that there's 
So, okay, this is not, this is bonus material right here, right? Like, so I think everyone in their gifting has like a, what's this thing called? Pendulum of the equal, like the positive and the negative part of that gifting, right? So I think if you're like really perceptive or you're like a good observer, you can find like the negative things in people like faster than anyone else can. And you can find the positives in people faster than anyone else can because you just perceive them, right? And so we can go on the negative side or we can go on the positive side. I think that's what John 10, 10 talks so much about is the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to keep you like looking at people and being like, oh, hmm. And then Jesus is like, actually, but I come to give you life abundant. So like, let's take that same thing and like look at them and see what you can draw out of them, how you can love them towards what they're supposed to be. And so I think so many times when we enter small group ministry and you're you're entering with people that you know, even sometimes if it, you like walk into, I've never had too many experiences where I walk into like a group and I literally don't know any of the humans I'm about to be in the group with. I remember back in school and in my master's program, that would be some of my experiences. But still, I'm sitting there trying to gather information like, okay, you don't make eye contact. Okay, you actually like write with like a ballpoint pen. I hate ballpoint pens. And so like you and you actually like have food all over your face, right? Like, so you're going around and you're still like observing things about people. It is just part of human nature. That was weird. No, <laughs> Alex was like, huh. Um, it's part of human nature, right, to be able to begin to try to identify people, to begin to try to put people in boxes, and to try to be able to like control our circumstances and know what we're going to expect from people by putting them and making these nice little labels. And so I think a lot of times at church, especially, is when you're in a group of people that you know, you really begin to like label them, right? And I... And I know I 100% do. And one of the things that I've been continually encouraged to try to figure out and to try to figure out how to balance this is to be able to look at how we love people and to be able to see, the, um, as Amy Carmichael talks here. And so if you want to take your label off and you can read it. I actually did not match people up with the right ones. I just gave them out in order, so take no offense. Wait, so, uh, you are not bubbly. so you are not bubbly. <laughs> You're not an encourager. No, um, if you are in a small group and you already know, again, who you're returning to, I want you to think about how you label people in that group. You can use little initials on your papers. We're talking about this. You can think about it. But, like, okay, how do I look at those people sometimes? And honestly, sometimes people are so hard, right? And sometimes people are very predictable. And sometimes people are set in different patterns of sin where you're, like, you're just really good at sinning like that, Right? But a lot of times I think that the gospel love is actually something that does not expect people to do that, but we expect them to, to choose righteousness and we expect them to grow towards Jesus. So Amy Carmichael says, if I find myself half carelessly taking lapses for granted, oh, that's what they always do. Oh, of course she talks like that and he acts like that. She says, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I belittle those whom I am called to serve and talk of their weak points in contrast to what I think of as my strong points, if I adopt a superior attitude forgetting who made thee to differ and what hast thou that thou hast not received, then I know nothing of Calvary love. And so that's just something I really want you guys to be thinking, especially if you're into a returning group. Whether you're a leader of a community group or a participant of a community group or you're a leader of a coming small group, I just want all of us to be able to think about, okay, what is Calvary love? That's the gospel love, and that's the gospel entering into our relationships. And the gospel always has hope, right? And the gospel always calls people out towards transformation. And so we never look at a person and just accept some kind of sin pattern and be like, well, that's just how they are. We never do that. We are gracious and we love them towards Jesus, but we also desire for them just the way we want them for us to be able to be like, keep going, keep becoming more like Jesus and don't stop. We're going to talk a little bit about skills. 
And some of this is like, no duh. But again, I wanna cover some of the basics and I want us to have a common language that we can know and we can talk through about with this. And so we're gonna look at um, the skill, of, this is like, like, why is it called attending? I don't know, I didn't come by that. It's just what it's called in psychology. So this is all falls under the category of what we call active listening, which is how you're a listener to someone, but you're actually engaging the process. And so the process of attending is all about basically how your body language is towards that person. So you will find that this is actually kind of tricky around a, like a round table, right? And so you'll find that a lot of times around a round table, it can add an interesting, like everyone's body language, for example, can be very fascinating, right? Because people are, especially in the morning, I don't know why we do anything in the mornings, but I, one of the things I think <laughs> what we have to really pay attention to is what is our body language bringing to the group? I think in my community group, I look at it and it's like if everyone's like, sprawled out like across the thing like this you're like wow this looks really great <laughs> you know like you can begin to think about body language and what that means and so we use an acronym it's called solar I didn't make that up either I don't know why we use it but that's what it's called and so the first at I don't know if it's nope not in there oh so the s stands for square on so when someone is talking in your group whether you're at a round table or whether you're sitting with them one-on-one -on -one, you want to make sure that your shoulders um, are like square to their shoulders. That's just one of the things of human communication that goes across like most um, cultures is that you, when someone's talking, you are squaring your body up with them. So I always tell, it's actually a wedding thing. In weddings, the groomsmen's shoulders are always to follow the bride wherever she goes. So when she's at the back, they're to follow like this. As she goes down the aisle, they're to keep their shoulders square to her and always go where she goes, right? And so that's the same thing. So when someone's talking and you're in your chair and you're at a round table, I would love to see you just be like, oh, you're talking. My shoulders are square onto your shoulders. The next one is open. So um, I'm like, I'm absolutely a leg crosser. And I think sometimes... I don't know, I just like to sit like this sometimes, right? But one of the things that we have to understand is that this is bigger than us and bigger than our comfort com comfortability. That was a hard word. Um, and we have to be able to think, okay, so open. So actually, people have done so many psychological studies on what it is. The greatest thing you can do towards someone is sit there with your arms uncrossed and your legs uncrossed. They can be crossed at the ankles. That doesn't seem to care for people. Um, but being able to be like, okay, I'm open. Like, I'm ready to receive. Like, I'm, I'm the second one. The next one is L. It's leaning forward. And so... There is a concept in there that's mimicking. It is very important, like in counseling, we always say it's actually more important to mimic the person. So if the person is like leaning backwards in their chair and they're like, just talking about something, they're feeling like really weighted about it. And you're like, what? You know, like that's awkward. Um, so it is kind of like, and it's kind of something where we always say like, you want to follow the person. So like if they're leaning back, then it's okay for you to lean back a little bit because that shows that you're having the same you're receiving it with the same kind of emotion that they're giving it. Does that make sense? But as a general rule, we want to be leaning forward and being like, okay, very attentive and very, very ready to listen. The next is eye contact. So that's a big thing too. I think especially I'm a visual, um, I'm a visual learner and a visual processor. And so when I'm with my clients and when I'm in Bible studies, I'm usually taking lots of notes because that's how I actually can remember things the best and write it down. And so I always have to remember to make eye contact, I think, with people too when they're talking because sometimes just writing down what they're saying or like, like drawing about it, how I perceive it. And so just be able to be like, all right, I'm going to give you, like, I need to make sure I'm making eye contact with you. And R is relax. And so I love when I walk by like community groups in the hallways and I see people like on the edge of their seat and I'm like, wow, what is happening in there? Um, and so just like, it's, so it's a thin line, right? Between, <laughs> between someone falling asleep, right? And someone not, and being relaxed. I have a whole bunch of young clients right now, and I can't even tell you someday maybe the Lord will allow me to videotape them and show people, but they're like on my, 
I'm always like, to what degree do I do this? They're like on the carpet in my office, like a worm or like a snake. They will like roll, like steamroll all around my office and like do flips over the couch. But I'll tell you what, they are like processing every single, like that is their processing activity. Like they have to be moving. They have to be like receiving sensory input the entire time. And I'm always like, do I do, I do that with you? Or can, can I just sit here in this chair? Is that going to be OK? Um, I just sit in the chair so far. Um, and so, but it's always interesting and very entertaining. I know. So if you ever see me and I'm like, woo, I have lost my mind. Um, so just thinking about that. So square, open, lean forward, eye contact, relax. Um, I think it's super important to remember that in these skills that you are the leader. And so you are the listener. You are the coordinator. God has chosen to put you in this group, in this position. And so by, by being the leader of how the body language is growing in the group and kind of putting that input into that, that has powerful effects actually on kind of what everyone is experiencing. Second part is empathy. So we talked about empathy being a tool that we build a bridge with and being a tool that we kind of build relationships with. Um, a huge part about empathy is that you are affirming what the person is saying and you're entering into that with them. And so a big, big problem that I see in groups is the concept of transference. So Michael will tell you all the time, people have come up to him and be like, oh, you just must be like crushed under the weight of carrying the sermon or whatever. I, you probably can't be some examples. He says it all the time, like, oh, you must be like, when you have to organize those things, you must just be like wanting to hide under a table and cry. And he's always like, uh, no. No, I actually love that. Uh, nope, nope, I think I feel good. And so it's just kind of, that's transference, right? Because that person's thinking, man, if I had to organize all those events, I'd be crushed under the weight of the table, right? Or if I had to come up with that sermon, I'd be wanting to run away and hide. That's transference. And so when we listen with that in mind, we're like, oh, I know exactly how it feels. Or, oh, yeah, and you just, you cut them off and you don't listen. That is absolutely stealing the person from the, stealing the story from that person and not allowing them to be the owner of their own story and to have a powerful voice to be able to, like, express it themselves. And so... Empathy is entering into a person and what they're experiencing from their perspective. Not putting anything on it that we have to say or think, but just listening. And that is one of the most powerful things that people can do is to be able to listen and to be able to receive without managing their story for them. Um, so like our greatest empathy statement in the world is, who knows what it is, anyone? I think it'll come up if I press the button. All right, I've taught this a lot. Now I feel sad. No. Uh, oh, where is it? There it is. I'm hearing that you feel blank because of blank, right? So this is something in my classes for like two months straight. I had to look at people and be like, well, they had to tell me a story. And then I had to be like, oh, I'm hearing that you feel sad because someone ate all the whipped cream, right? And that are, you know, whatever it may be. So I had to put in these emotions. So we talk about sachet right there. I'm just going to give you a quick definition of it. This supposedly summarizes all of the emotions in the human experience into this acronym. S is sad. A is angry. S, second S is scared, H is happy, E is excited, and T is tender. I do think that's a good and helpful. So sad, angry, scared, happy, excited, tender. Sad, angry, scared, happy, excited, tender. I do think that that is a good starting place for a lot of people to be able to use like emotional language, especially if you're a thinker and you're not a good emoter. Um, it's important to be able to be like, okay, wait, I shall not think about this too much. I shall enter into the emotion of what's going on, right? And be able to say like, so I had to sit there for two months and be like, you, I, I was only allowed to use that phrase, literally. The, do you know how st stupid and awkward that is? Oh, yes, I'm, I'm hearing that you feel angry because someone punched you in the face. You know, like always just putting those things in there. What that do statement does do for us is it equips us to be able to give this, like, this, this ration, this thing that has been proven and understood for people, that they feel heard when you can be able to t 
hear the story, right? See the emotion that's going on behind it and state what's happening to cause that emotion. And so I think even as a small group leader, this is one of your greatest skills to develop, like we talked about earlier, is this active listening. As a counselor, that's like one of my biggest jobs is to hear people tell their stories and to be able to draw out why in the world are we talking about this in the first place? Um, and why in the world did we talk about that story and then did we talk about this story and did we talk about this story? Where are the themes? What is God working on? What is he bringing? What is he trying to understand? And as small group leaders, you're not counselors, but you do have that same responsibility to be able to be like, okay, hi, what, why, what, okay, all right, <laughs> you know, what's going on? And maybe I think you're talking about that because I think the God, God is just chipping away at that relationship in your life. Or I think that that relationship you're talking about, that's where he wants you to be having boldness. And so for you really to be the connector, again, the co-leader with the Holy Spirit, but really using empathy as an opportunity to be able to enter into these people's stories, to be able to bring the gospel to them, right? To be able to help them to step outside of their labels and to not transfer whatever you think about the situation, whatever you feel if you were them, but to really genuinely listen to what they have to say. Um, all right. So we've talked about attending, body language. We've talked about empathy, which is affirming them and entering in from their perspective. We've, now we're going to talk a little bit about vulnerability. I really truly believe that vulnerability um, is the number one way that you have control over group to move from forming to fighting, what's that called? Storming, and then onwards. Because um, I think that when we enter into our own vulnerability as a group leader, we get to set a tone for what's going on. Because it's like, okay, now you got all the dirt on me, so if you want to use it, you can use it. Or you could just kind of like maybe, you know, throw your heart into the mix at the same kind of rate as I'm ready to give. You will see that, I feel like I may be giving away a great secret here, but I'll give it away. You'll say it so many times. Michael uses opportunities for himself to be vulnerable in his sermons, right? Because he knows, A, that's how he's worked through it and that's how he's processed it. But it's also an invitation for you to be able to see inside of him, right? And so that you kind of let your guard down so that you can begin to think about yourself too it the same way. Or if you're super judgmental, it's be like, that guy has many problems. Um, and so for it to be vulnerable, for it to be, to create a judgment-free zone where members can share what's going on without feeling judged by the group, or feeling like a special project, that's a big one, okay? I've been in many community groups where there's one person who is the special project of the whole community group. That is not fair to them, even though they might like it for a time period, it's not fair to them and it's not fair to the rest of the group. And so special project group members cannot happen. Um, and so I think we have to be really mindful of that to be able to be like, okay, yeah, but you're just actually so, unless the group is like, Meredith's support group to make Meredith's life happen, right? Then Meredith should just be a member of the group, not like the object of the group, right? And so I think everyone else, that's, that's a huge hurt that happens in a lot of groups because it's like, okay, I see that they need that and I see that they need that extra support, but like actually I kind of need like stuff too. So really thinking about that. But going back to the vulnerability part, by the way you can open up your own heart, the way that you can show that you've processed these questions, the way that you can be honest about things that are going on, and not in a rude way where you're like, I, you know, well, I just want to tell the group that I have $75 million of debt and I just think that you should all take care of me, right? Like those kind of things. You don't want to also be like taking the spotlight and putting it on yourself where everyone's like, oh, poor you. Um, so we're going to talk about the spotlight for a second. So the spotlight is bonus material also here that's not in here. Spotlight is, every group has a spotlight. So there's like 68 people, there's a spotlight going on. So whenever, whoever has a spotlight, it's all about you for the moment, right? You're talking, you get the spotlight. This person talks, it's a spotlight chancellor over here. Something we call a spotlight stealer. The spotlight stealer who's like, oh, no, 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 I want that back, I want that back, I want that back, right? And they steal the spotlight and put it back on them. And so in a healthy group, you would see the spotlight kind of like 
rotating around to different people and spending, you know, about equal amount of times kind of like having a lot of movement towards it. That's how healthy group is. Uh, unhealthy group is anytime that spotlight is like stuck in one place on one person for a long time. So I always think about that. Like if I had a spotlight, would it be moving pretty well right here? Who would be taking it back? Is someone turning it off? You know, what may be going on there? But vulnerability, I think that's taking the spotlight on yourself, opening up your heart, exposing what's inside of it, right? And then using that hopefully to invite the group to like a deeper level of trust. Probing, all right, this is one of my favorite ones. Oops, there we go. Let's see what's next. So. This, again, is something that I've had to spend months being, like, pounded on. And I want you guys to be, like, pounded in on this. Is when I ask questions to people, how do I ask the what, not the why? Okay, so, like, in our minds and the way that our brain synapses work, when you ask a why question, it fires up different parts of the brain that can actually usually come up with, like, not really helpful answers. When we ask a what question, that usually actually gets synapses to connect and be able to use different parts of the brain to create bridges. And so the what questions are ones that you're like, oh, okay. And it's weird. And you're like, oh, right. But it is so very true. And here's something I call the magic question. Everyone should write this down. You should use it with your children every day. You should use it with your friends. You should use it with your spouse. So we call the magic question is, so if you did know, what would you know? So like, well, what, what would help you? I don't know. I don't know what would help me. I don't know what would help me. Well, if you did know, what do you think it would be? <laughs> you will be so entertained by how many people are like, oh, well, I would need someone to bring me meals. And you're like, wow, yeah, that's so weird. But it's called the magic question. So if you did know, what would you think? Or what would you know? Or what would you say? Or what, whatever the question is. So if you did know, or if you had some ideas about it, what would some of those ideas be? I ask that question all the time. It's called the magic question. Don't give that secret away or I'll have to wipe your mind clean. That's one of our little tricks in psychology. So if you did know, what would you know? But questions are so important. And so I'm sure everyone has been in a Bible study before when you like read a passage about, I can't think of any passages in the whole Bible. So you read a passage about like the red door and how the dog went through the red door, right? And so like there's the questions that are like, what color was the door? You know, in the Bible study and you're like, uh, red? Who was going through the door? Mm. Uh, the dog, so they're very content like based, and there's a there's a time and a place for some content based questions. I'm not the biggest fan of them because I want people thinking. Right to me, that's reading comprehension. It's not just comprehension about like the facts of what's going on. It's actually the moral. What will what, what cause the dog to go through the door? All those kind of questions on what's going on. Right. I want you to be thinking about your questions that you're asking your group members. So in in um community groups, in women's groups, there are questions that are going to be given a lot of times to be able to ask. And I want you to be thinking, okay, so what are the best questions here? Um, and then how can I maybe change them if they need to be changed? But if I'm just going to be asking questions too, how can I ask questions that are going to um, benefit the group in a way that is not as much content oriented as it is processing oriented? So we ask what questions, not why. That's just like one of the little secrets. Um, and then the question is after that is like, okay, so then what do we do with this? I think small groups, that's one of their main places is to be able to say, okay, what do we do with this, right? What do we do with this content? What do we do with the fact that we're studying through the book of Hebrews and we see that Jesus is like glorious? Like, what do we do when we see that he's actually like better than Moses? Like, great, I didn't really know Moses. And like, so what does that mean? You know, like, what do we do with all of this information? We'll talk about that more in a second. Another one of the skills that is very important, I think, as a small group leader is to be able to move people, right? To help them move, to be like, all right, here you are. Now let's go here. 
So it doesn't matter what kind of group you're in. Again, we said the two things that we want in bullet church groups are to be um, connection, right, and growth. I don't remember if that's exactly what changed. That's why I said, I'm like, I thought they were C's. Um, connection and change. And so goal setting comes into that. So who knows what Michael always says he wants goals to be? Oops. <laughs> yes. We call them MAC goals, right? Because we want them to be measurable, attainable, clear, and compelling. I got to get back to this part because. And so we really want them, again, to go from generals to specifics. So you're like, I want to grow in Jesus. If anyone ever accepted that as a goal from someone, we'd have words, right? Because you're like, oh, okay, how? What is going to make you grow in Jesus? What are you going to do to do that, right? That is not measurable. You don't, you're not like a little tree or whatever. That is not necessarily even like attainable in the way that you're handling going about it. It's not clear and it's not, comp I mean, it might be compelling, but it's not the first couple. And so you really have to begin to figure out like, how do I help people in this make these MAC goals, right? Measurable, attainable, clear, and compelling. Taking from general to specifics. I would love if you were a beast about this, right? You're just like, and this was like in your group covenant, like we are not gonna let each other just like grow, right? We are going to like help each other grow. And I'm gonna help you figure out what that means to make measurable steps towards that. Because so that we can look back and we can say, I, I actually didn't grow at all. Or I can look back and say like, oh my goodness, look at where we've come from. And so that you are seeking to help other people set goals that are real, that can be grasped onto, that can be, again, measured and be able to be seen. So, you, you know, I, my children had, like, Abia, for example, she was fail failure to thrive. And so she was not on the growth chart. She was not on the chart at all. So they made her own little growth chart, right, in terms of how she had to grow that was at the bottom of the other growth chart. And they said, by this day, she has to get here. By this day, she has to get here. By this day, she has to get here. And that was, like, my full-time job was helping this child grow. Um, even though in some ways it was out of my control, in some ways there's things that I could do to influence it, right? And so I think it's the same way as, as, as small group leaders. It's outside of our control. God is the person who works in their hearts to change them. God is the person who convicts. God is the person who equips them to change. But we can be influencers in that change, and we can set up environments around them that's like, grow, grow. Oh, I should have brought a like to sing his song from preschool. It's like, read and something, what is it? Read your, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. And they start out, and then they're like, and you grow grow, grow, and it's my favorite thing in the whole world. It would have been really cute. Um, and so just thinking about how it is for us to be able to see that happening to people. I would love at the end of like a women's ministry semester that we're able to look at the people in our small group and be like, like you are different. Like I see that transformation. I see that sanctification in you. Um, so again, inviting each member to share in areas that they are trying to improve and offering accountability, offering prayer support, and again, I think I already said this, but a big part of that is, this, yeah, I did say it, the prayer requests. What are we asking for prayer in? Are we asking in prayer for my cat, or am I asking for prayer and patience in the way that I'm going to deal with this situation, right? So I love it when it's specifically related to what the Lord is moving in and just really trying to pick on people. So usually at the beginning of a group, I'll tell people, I'm going to pick on you, and you can pick on me too in this area because I want to see us not just letting each other off the hook in some kind of like trite sayings. We're like, I think that's what you say, you know, but... <laughs> Like, you've heard probably the example of when Sunday school, they were like, um, what's brown and furry and has a long tail and eats nuts? And they're like, Jesus. And you're like, squirrel, actually. Um, and, you know, so it's like not just these Jesus trite things, but that Jesus is like alive and living, which he is. And he's working in our hearts to bring himself glory and to make us more like himself. Um, 
So another part, another skill is the, I don't know if it's on here. Yep, directing and leading. And so thinking about that, that is what your job is. And so there's a couple questions on here. One um, that I'm going to try to make time for these questions, which we're doing good on time to talk about in a second. But one says, tips on working with people at a variety of spiritual level, levels inside of one group, especially when you're not even sure where they are at spiritually, which is like, I think, someplace we've always all been in. And so a big part of that is when you're the director, you're the leader of the group, I think there's an awesome opportunity to be able to be like, okay, well, Meredith, what do you think about what Tara just said, right? And so you're beginning to direct like maybe different people in different ways and connecting them. That's one of the greatest skills of a group leader is not just be like, okay, it's about me and you and me and you, but it's about like you and you and then you, what do you have to say to that person, right? And so you can begin to really work the connection of the leaders to be able to give people a voice, but at the same time, like you are maintaining what somewhat semblance of control and influence in ter terms of what is happening. Um, so I think that directing, that leading, the in, making sure that all the group members are interacting. We're going to talk about dynamics in a second, but that's a huge part of it is like you're the leader. So if someone's talking too much, whose fault is that? It's yours, right? And if someone is like being a spotlight stealer, whose fault is that? It's yours. And so, you know, that first time it's like, wow, you just stole the spotlight, you know, or maybe you'll get home and be like, oh, I think they talked for like 27 minutes of the 30 minute group. And you know, sometimes at that moment, we don't always know that, but then it's our opportunity to be able to jump in and be able to do that, which we're going to move into. So um, yes, interacting with all group members. So the biggest goal I believe of small groups is process, not content. I was in a lot of, I feel like small groups as a young girl where it's like we had to talk about every question, one through 12. If we didn't talk through all the 12 questions, we would have been a failed group and it would have been like terrible, right? And so I think too, a lot of it is when we look at, when we look at these questions and we look at these things that are going on, they're supposed to be tools to like help the group process. It is not about a goal or crossing them off or you get a gold medal if you answer all of them, um, but it is about helping your group to process. And so, like, again, I said I'm a visual person, so, like, I need to take notes in order to be able to do that. In order to process, I usually need to be taking notes in order to really be working myself to be able to get to a place. So if that's you, encourage people to be able to do that, but really focusing on the process, not the content. Um, but at the same time, knowing that the content is what allows the process, right? So if we had no content, then our process would be lost and based upon nothing. So keeping the focus on Jesus, who gives us the strength to change. I think that's a big one. And that's, that's where, like, if you don't have answers to so many things, that's where you get to, again, say, well, well we're just going to watch God work. Sometimes I'm like, Grandpa, that was genius, because you're like, I don't need to have the answers. I have no idea what to say right now, but we're just going to watch God work, right? That it, it, I tell you, it can come back to everything. You can use that answer from everything from here on out. So it's like, I don't know, but we're going to watch God work, right? And we're going to keep the focus on him who gives us the strength to change. So all of these skills are like any other skills in life most often they are acquired over time, but you need to be excited because even with daily interaction with people, like when you're at the grocery store and you're listening to them, you can be like, I'm going to try to ask you questions right now and see how far I can take you. I will say my husband is like, he's super bothersome, but at the same time in this, he's super talented. So like we go anywhere on vacation and I'm just like buying, you know, like trail mix bars at the counter. All of a sudden he has this person telling them about his whole life over here and they're like crying. This happens, I can't even tell you how often this happens. Or he, he'll be like, hey, like uh, a couple of vacations ago, he was like, this is, this is, I don't remember their names were, you know, Matt and Joe and they just got married and they're producers in Hollywood and they do, uh, I was like, you were gone for four minutes. How in the world did you get their entire life story, their entire relational history, all of their job stuff and everything that's going on? But he's really good at asking really good questions. And so when I see him do these, you know, and he practices these in his daily interactions with people. You know, I feel like sometimes it's like, 
how much can he know about person in 30 seconds? And they just, like, and that's one of the things, Michael says this all the time, people love to talk about themselves, right? And so if we can allow a safe place for them and invite them towards that, our skills are going to grow. So if, whether you're practicing at the grocery store with people in your daily life or with your family, our skills are going to grow and we're going to grow in this. And in confidence. And a lot of what we need confidence is what we're going to talk about now, which is uh, dynamics. And so one other thought before we get into dynamics, we talked about the norming stage, right? I want you to be consistently looking and evaluating your groups for what, what is normal in my group, right? Because you get to a point where you're like, wait, everyone's on their phone right now playing that interactive Bible app. How did we get to this place? You're like, somehow that became a norm, right? And so if you're not like hitting up your norms and you're not like interceding on that, and then what do you do at that point? You'd be like, I don't know how we got to this place. So sometimes when pe norms happen, I feel like people like complain about them, but they never try to stop them. It's Parenting. Who's ever had that in parenting? You're like, wow, when did my child become so whatever? No, our job is to intervene in that, right? And, be, and call them back to how that's supposed to be. To be able to say, oh, I don't know when we all started playing this interactive Bible app, but we all probably need to like, what can we do to put our phones down and addressing it? That's your job as a leader is to address those like strange, awkward conversations. So, you know, group norms. Are you guys being healthy? Talked about the spotlight. Being late, that's another one. People not being prepared, people being on their phones. Any other group norms that you feel like before you've been like, wow, that just kind of sucks the life out of a group? Or any other group norms that you feel like, I loved that. That was super beneficial for me to grow in. I think those are a couple of them. Being late, not being prepared, being on phones, those are things that I notice a lot. And I think for you, I just want you constantly evaluating, putting in little evaluations. Like maybe the first week of every month, I'm just going to kind of look at my group and be like, all right, what's going on here? Is there something that I just, every time someone does, I'm like, and I haven't even really put a word to it, but I'm like, no, it actually really bothers me when everyone's sitting on their phone in the group or what may be. All right, group dynamics. This is going to be your favorite part, I think. So dealing with the negative group dynamics. So let's see what comes up here. Oh, that's really not readable. Um, I think I put that link, though, in your notes, did I? Okay, so that is an, a link that has a whole library of resources on different group dynamics, like the person who does this and this and this and this, right? They write, write amazing, well, decent and amazing articles on all those different problems. So right now, if you've never led a group and you're about to start leading a group who you don't know, you can think about this all you want, but until you have that person in front of your face and you're like, ooh, you're the monopolizer, <laughs> you won't maybe remember this the same way as if you knew, oh, I have a monopolizer in my group, I'm gonna go use this to be able to help them settle down, right? So that is a great link with a lot of resources to be able to go visit, but we're just gonna go over them real quick here. A huge part of your leadership is to deal with the negative group dynamics when they happen. I promise you, when you don't deal with them when they happen, they will grow, grow, grow. <laughs> and you'll be like, oh, now it's even more awkward because I didn't talk about it the first time and I have to talk about it the 947th time. Um, and so the other thing is when you don't talk about them, then you kind of become a codependent to it, right? So who can define codependency for me? When by passively not doing something, right, or actively doing something, you add to the problem even if you don't like the problem, right? And so you're like, ah, well, I'm not going to tell you to stop, but I really don't like that you do that. And you're actually hurting yourself. I'm not going to tell you to stop because that would make me feel awkward, right? No, as a leader, your, your job is to, like, protect the other people from what they're doing, right, and protect them from, like, what they're doing. So problematic group members. We could probably make this list really long. So one of the ones is the silence and lack of participation. I think everyone's probably had the person you're like, um, are you just writing this all down and sharing this on your blog? Or what's going on, right? And so they're just very quiet. Maybe they're introverted, but sometimes they just don't know how to step into conversation. Your biggest goal with them is to be able to make space for them and invite them out. Oh, okay, well, yeah, well, Meredith, what? Sorry, you're just 
being picked on tonight for every role. Meredith, what did you think about that, right? So, like, you are just going to call them out. You're not going to – and then they'll, then they'll know without, without – <laughs> all the introverts will be like, oh, no, they're calling people after the first time, and that's okay because that's going to be your group norm is that we – you know, if someone's not talking, we just kind of, like – we can all just kind of call on each other and connect and reconnect, and it doesn't have to be like me to everyone throwing the ball, right, but that everyone can kind of throw the ball to each other and talk through that. So I think with the silence or the lack of participation, and sometimes if you're like, wow, it's really happening, I would totally talk to that person outside the group and be like, you know what, I just noticed, like, tell me a little bit about what's going on in group. Is there something that's going through your mind or something that you're holding back, something I can do to help you be more comfortable, right? But even that silent person and that lack of participating person, they need to be called in. They need to be had made space for and called forward. Sometimes people have a lot to say. They just don't know how to, like, get it in there. I think that's probably my most common thing. The monopolizer. And so this is the person who's just going to take all the time. They're the dominator. A lot of times they're just going through a lot. And so it's not that they have ill intention or that they're mean or they don't care about anyone else. They're oftentimes just so, like, overwhelmed and flooded in their own brain that they don't. They can't, they don't stop it. Okay, so that is also one of the most dangerous places, I think, for a human to be anyways. And so if you think about that, then the most compassionate thing you can do is make them pay attention to other people and get out of their own brain. You can think of it as a compassionate, like, pull towards other people. And so a lot of times I'll be able to say to those kind of people, like, oh, I love that you're, you're, you're talking about that. But we're just going to continue to hold that thought, actually, and we're going to listen to see what, you know, Shelly has to say or whatever it may be. And so you're teaching them to hold their thoughts, Right. You're coming up with like, these little sayings that you know and you have prepared for like the monopolizer to be like, okay, yeah, I, oh yeah, we're going to kind of pause your story right there because I want to see if anyone else has something that maybe is related or unrelated to what they saw to the word today, right? And so you're just, you're learning to like all these like little traffic control signs like, no, oh, okay, oh, okay, okay, right? With your hands and with your words to be able to like very gently close and you don't need to feel bad about it because I guarantee you if you're like, oh, Blake, I'm so sorry, I don't you're just talking too long, right? Like that's going to make it super awkward. <laughs> but, if, but if you are like confident in that, right? And you're like, because you know that you're the shepherd of all the people in the group. And so you know that's the best thing for the group. And if you're like, okay, oh, yes. All right. Yeah, why don't you hold that thought and continue? And let's see what Alex has to say about that. The more confidence you have, the more like, oh, they'll still be like, yeah. But it creates a group to be able to go on and to be able to talk about that. Um, the storyteller, oftentimes, like I said before, this is someone who's processing, right? So they don't know what they're trying to give to you. They don't know the thought that they're trying to say. I can totally do this many times. Um, but they're trying to get to it and they're trying to put their finger on it. And so that can help them when you're active listening, when you're trying to understand. Sometimes you can just help them like put the finger on it. Or you can say, you know what, that's interesting. I'm so interested that your brain is going that direction. Let's talk about that more later afterwards and let's see if anyone else has anything that they want to be able to put into that or whatever it may be. And so the other thing is too, in your group covenant, a lot of these things you've hopefully addressed. You're, you know, you're saying to people, we want to make sure this is a place for everyone in the group, right? So people know, oh yeah, I am kind of like dominating or taking the time or being a mon monopolizer. Um, acting superior, that can be a really hard one. <laughs> and people are like, well, I only use whatever. And you're like, you know, it gets really awkward because that's a very condescending, um, shutting down feeling, right? And no one likes to, <laughs> no one in the world wants to be shut down and like put down because they feel like they're not as superior to someone else. And I think that happens a lot in like mommy wars. It happens a lot in all sorts of different things. And I think that's just something to be able to call out to and be able to be like, okay, I just want to stop right there. Because the way that you just said it, I want you to know, like, how do you think that might have made some of the people in the group feel, right? And you're like, oh, I don't know. You're like, okay, well, Shelly, how did that make you feel? You know, like, did anyone have that? And then I'd be able to say, 
because that kind of made me feel a little awkward and kind of made me want to kind of stop talking or stop sharing my opinion or whatever it may be. And so allowing that feedback for the group to be the thing that supports you too. I think that's a, as leader, a lot of times we think we have to be the only person to, to give that person feedback. Oh, it's great when you can just write that off. Actually, Shelly, will you go ahead and tell me how did that make you feel? <laughs> I mean, you'll know your group dynamics hopefully well enough to be skilled at that, right? That, not that Shelly would be like, no, right? But that, you know, that we can set the group norms for just sharing and being able to connect like that. Intellectualizing. That's the person that Lauren was here earlier, and they're like, well, actually. Um, and you're like, Ugh. And so just really beginning to take things and not ever have emotions be involved in them a lot of times and just, like, separate them out into, like, facts instead of feelings. And so I think a lot of times the most gracious thing we can do for that person is to be able to try to connect the feelings towards it and invite them into that realm. And so a lot of times we want to just be asking for emotions. We want to be encouraging that process. And we want to try to be continually shepherding, right, these problematic group members. And so if you're a little overzealous, when you're like the first meeting, you're like, you've been talking for two minutes and 47 seconds. Only everyone has two minutes and 30 seconds. You've already gone 17 seconds over your time. I don't, I'd actually <laughs> secretly kind of be more with you because it's like if you start strong on like setting these norms and inviting people in and like making sure everyone is invited in, it's so much easier to carry that on than to be like, oh, actually, you've never talked in two years, and now it's time for you to talk, right, and be a part of the group. Um, that is so much harder to make happen. And so I think that's, that's a big part. So starting strong with that, I'd actually rather you be kind of awkward and overzealous at, like, including all the voices and have to kind of figure out how to skillfully do that instead of, yeah, letting it go too long. Does that make sense? A couple other good tips. If someone reveals something that's really heavy and that is just not the appropriate time for that, the best thing I think you can do is be like, actually, we're just going to go ahead and pray for you immediately. We're just going to go ahead and lift this to God because in this group, we don't have a way of fixing this. We don't have a way of like dealing with this right now. But so we're just going to like before the throne, like bring that before the throne and watch God work again, right? Connecting them again. So like helping them connect to someone who can help them further. So many times people are like, they need, they need more help, right? So if you're like, oh, now I've empathized with you and that's great. I hope you live through the week, right? You know, like that's super not caring or helpful. And so hopefully you know who you would go talk to and you have your upline defined. And I want people to be able to use their upline, right? So like for women's ministry, small group leaders this year, Mel is going to be the shepherd over those. And so if you have a question or you have a need, she's going to be the person that you're able to go to and she's going to be able to know how to take care of that or to know who to connect you to to be able to take care of that for that. I think, Alex, for you in children's ministry, for men's ministry, for community groups, hopefully we can all have a good idea of who our upline is to be able to be like, all right, yeah, let's go. We're going to go find you some connections, right? Our deacons are wonderful people. I work with them very extensively in counseling all the time to try to problem solve for people. And there is so much opportunity there that I feel like even goes untapped to be able to help people and to be able to figure out, all right, how can we do this? What can we do? And again, before I had said, um, if you have Anyone who has any kind of suicidal ideation or homicidal ideation, I always, people are always like, why are we talking about this? I'm like, oh, because it actually happens all the time. That is not something that I want you to carry. That is not something that I want you to even carry for a moment. That is something I would love for you to go directly up your upline or you can come to me directly anytime with any person in any ministry who you feel like is experiencing that. And we can help you figure out how to help that person and how to love that person. But that is just something that we don't mess around with. And we don't take the value of life lightly in any way, shape, or form. So we're going to talk about questions. And then our goal is to be done by 8.30. And we're going to spend the last 20 minutes praying in our groups for the new ministry year. So we're going to have a couple 
minutes to talk about questions. I'm gonna go through some of these questions you guys submitted, but you can actually ask any kind of questions that you want to. Some of these questions, I love them, and I don't have necessarily all the answers for this, and so I love that we can just kind of talk through this, but I'm gonna lead you through this. Don't test my group leading skills. I'll own you. No, um, okay. So I haven't read through all these, so I'm just gonna start reading them. Um, so question, how do you determine the best way to communicate post-group? One of the things I think about that is that you guys have established how you're gonna communicate. Like, okay, so now that our group is done, you know, or whatever, whether that's for the year or for after that week, I think you have to establish and you have to tell them that from the beginning, right? So like, what's more awkward, nothing, by the way, than a community group who's like done for the year and then that person's like, where do, where do I go? Where are my people? Who's gonna pray for me? And then they're like texting the group, right? I've never been in the situation, so I have this not from personal experience. Uh, you know, they're, they're texting the group and like no one's responding. Because I feel like they're like, that's not my community group anymore. I don't even know what to do. You're like, uh, okay. So then I, you're like, I'm the only one, not, or, you know, this is a hypothetical, like I said. And you're the only one, like, responding to that. And you're like, this person is just hanging, right? So that is an example of, like, poor adjourning qualities, right? To be able to say, like, you can feel free to text me. Or actually, now you need to text that person. So, like, coming up with, like, end of group endings and, like, what we're going to do from here on out. Um, but then also that post-group work, like, after the weeks, so, like, after the first time you, you meet. So I think for women's ministry, I love for, like, different things to be set up. Like, we would just love for you to be connecting with everyone once a week and then figuring out, like, how did that go, right? So we're setting up expectations. And we're going to tell our group, too, like, I'm going to connect with you this week. So, you know, or maybe trying to get coffee with, like, each person in the group. There's all sorts of things that, yes, are all work. That's why it's actually called like post-group work and pre-group work. But it is the kind of work that brings life. And I think that is the kind of thing, the more you can put into those kind of end caps, the post and the pre, those are the kind of things that just bring life and allow the group to like move forward. Okay, here, I'd love to hear people's ideas on this. Tips for working with people at a variety of spiritual levels, especially when you're not sure where they really are spiritually. That's a great question. So I talked a little bit about connecting group members and inviting them into each other's stories in that way. But what else? Anyone else have any tips on working with people at a variety of spiritual levels? especially when you're not sure where they are at spiritually. So it's like almost like an assessment, like you need an assessment, right? So, but when you don't know people, you can't automatically know. And sometimes you think you know, right? And you're like, oh, hmm. Forming. Forming. You can sense like, hey, like, tell us, some of us share our testimony. Yes. Like that guy moment. Yes. And you don't necessarily have to like force it, like everyone has to do it. Mm -hmm. But the people who aren't comfortable sharing, mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something, right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, when you first form, like having a questionnaire or even having like an introduction, like when you're introducing each other, yourself, uh, you know, introduce each other, when you introduce mm -hmm. yourself, like kind of having a couple of questions to like tell us about mm -hmm. even how you came to the church. Like those pieces, like there's enough new people mm -hmm. in church that you make assumptions and as opposed to actually hearing from that person where they're at and how long. Like, oh, you've been here for three years, and I've never seen you before. Yes. Like, that's just helpful, because you might say something about them being new, and they don't feel like yep. they're new, so. Yep, that's good. And sometimes I've asked, like, direct questions, like, do you, like, during that time, like, do you feel comfortable praying aloud? Like, mm -hmm. as opposed to just assuming, and being like, well, you know what, we're going to work on that this, you know, at this time, mm -hmm. and throughout mm -hmm. the year when you are comfortable, then I'm going to call on you. But until then, like, feel, you can just mm -hmm. listen and participate. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's good. Mm -hmm. where you are at, then for the next 
session, you can actually tell them. I wish um, in so I've taken group classes in undergrad and in graduate school and in undergrad we were actually formed into groups co-ed groups and then we were given a, an amount, a dollar amount and each of us had to lead an event so it's like your hot seat event so I had to take my whole group and we had to plan it outside of class I had to take them all to go do something I wanted to do and then I was given money to pay for it right and so like my group went like um I don't even know these terms because I don't golf, but like we went golfing <laughs> at this like second story thing in Chicago before that was a thing at Top Golf. I'd never done that in my entire life with all these people I really didn't know, right? And so, and then you had to tell them your whole story while you were doing your event, right? And I, and I was like, like, that was like, that was me being like, I don't want to at all. That's like not exciting for me. And, um, but I actually loved it. And I got to know those people and it was like, I, I can't remember what I did for my event, but it was like so amazing to be able to bring them into something that's like quirky or fun about you. So sometimes I think about that. I'm like, that'd be so fun for every group to be able to do. But, but you know, separate like community groups, sometimes you can do that, right? And be able to share that. But yeah, just like sharing, putting them on the hot seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, icebreakers. They're silly, but you do learn a lot of things from icebreakers, right? Yeah. I do too. That's why I'm like, I think I'll go to the bathroom and then probably get a drink of water. And maybe by the time I come back, they'll be done. Yeah. You guys do it. But at the same time, that's just my like introverted, like non beginning of the group. I'd rather like go into the middle. That doesn't make sense. All right. Question How to stop someone from taking over the group in terms of the only one, in terms of the only one answering but not opening up? So are we talking about like the kind of answers where we, yeah, I think that's what we're talking about. Like the answer, but it's not like really being vulnerable. It's not moving the group somewhere. It's not like helping. It's just like the dog went through the red door. Great. Now what are we going to do with it? So how to talk someone from taking over the group, not being the only one answering. Any ideas, tips? Yes, I was going to say a lot of times that I'm, I don't even make it an open-ended question. I'm like, oh, Meredith, what do you think about that, right? And then like, oh, what do you, you know, then Lisa, what do you think about that? And then absolutely doing it that way. Um, or sometimes it'll be like, oh, thanks for your thoughts, Meredith. Who else would you like to hear from, <laughs> you know, like in the group or whatever, to be able to like direct them. <laughs> then to pick out another person and actually acknowledge that sometimes there's other humans there too. Habitually late. How this is, I mean, I'm don't, I have no suggestions on this one. So, um, habitually late. What do you do with someone who's habitually late? There you go. <laughs> so, uh -huh. there was, <laughs> I, I actually read an article on ch children's ministry with volunteers who are uh -huh. habitually late. Yeah, that's good. And every, every time, like at the start time, if they're not there, you just said, send them a text message. Like, just so you're checking in, like, you, you genuinely want to know whether or not... Right. You're not in there. a gutter, are you? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, like, at that start time, if they're not there, just be like, hey, like, we just want to make sure you're right. here. Right. Yeah. 
And what's that doing? That's actually keeping the uh, like the boundary set, right? Because like I never was okay with you not coming, right? Because then if because if someone doesn't check in with you, then you're like, oh, I guess, I guess it's okay, right? You know? Um, and you're like, but every time you send that text message, and you're like, it's still not okay, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it okay to put that in your covenant? Absolutely, absolutely. I think there's things too in your small group you have to be able to know, like. You know, like I was habitually late to Bible study for a season because I was dropping off one kid and then going here. So it's like actually not enough time. So that's just going to be me, right? That's just going to be what has to happen. So I think a lot of that is too, maybe asking group members like, hey, so, you know, what is this going or what is happening or do you have to leave early or whatever, maybe to get some understanding and right, because that's empathizing, right? Empathize with the lateness. I mean, I mean, we are on week two and a half of school and we haven't been late one day and this is the most sanctifying thing we've ever done because I have never tried so hard in my life to be on time just I've never tried I literally this is probably also pathetic never tried so hard for something in my life for so long and not been able to achieve it is getting my kids to school on time right and so this is our fourth year at Westminster and we're we're we skipped school one day so we're on seven days in a row of being on time that is our world record right and so um but I've thought about starting an Instagram account on, like, why we were late, right? Because I remember, like, there's, like, all these days in a row, and it's, like, my sister threw my sequined boot at my face and scratched my eyeball, right? You know, like, it's, like, all, like, you know, it's never the same thing twice, and it's ridiculous why we're late. But, like, sometimes, like, I, I, I do think the forces of evil work in that, too, because they're trying to get frustrate us and distract us and steal, kill, and destroy for something that's going to be good for be able to go on there, too. So I think that's something that we need to be aware of. So it's, like, when I got to someplace... And I was late. I still expected like confetti and warm hugs to be waiting for me because I was like, <laughs> I made it. I made it here, you know? And it's like, and people are like, oh, she was late again. I'm like, no, 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 no. You do not understand. This is a victory, right? And so I think there's a lot of compassion that goes on there too, but checking in with the person. So I think the habitually late checking in with them, helping to brainstorm, like, um, you know, like Lisa and I have brainstormed lots of hours of our life how to continue to get our children to school on time and one time she's like I'm just you can put on their shoes on upstairs right and so I started that too I was like you get out of bed and you put those shoes right on because we're not talking about this again and it's time and Michael's like they're wearing the shoes on the carpet and I was like we'll get new carpet because we're going to be late to, we're going to be at school on time right and that and, and that for a season like for the whole last end, end of last year that worked for us it was like you get up I don't care if you got your pajamas on, your shoes are going on the first thing, right? Because I am not talking about those shoes one more time. And so it's that brainstorming me with that person and like finding these things that are helpful to be able to help them maybe. And if they don't want it, you know, but if it's a hard thing because they don't care, then it's calling that out too and encouraging them to be able to be like, you know what? Well, sometimes when you're late, you know, like those volunteers or whatever it may be, like that actually has like kind of big communal ramifications. And I think a lot of times we don't understand communal ramifications as individuals, especially we don't think in community. So we need to teach people how to think in community and how to like respect community. A um, couple more questions here. What do you do when someone presents an issue bigger than what you have time or resources to deal with in the moment? It's a good question. For example, intense anxiety, depression, major financial issues, etc. I'd love to hear from you guys. So what do you do when someone presents an issue that's bigger than what you have time or resources to deal with in the moment? Maybe setting up a time later that week to get together with them. Mm -hmm. Coffee or lunch. Mm -hmm. or, um, meet someplace. Mm -hmm. Or even after the study or the group is over. Mm -hmm. Or whatever. To have that sufficient time to talk about. Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely true. I love what you said. Pray right away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I do think that is a common theme in groups also. 
I think sometimes people hold it back. Maybe that's why people are quiet sometimes. And they're like, blah, and you're like, blah. You know, in terms of the reaction to that, just to be able to say, okay, yeah, we can't let that unattended. I, I, I feel like in my role, I deal with a lot of hurt. Sometimes it happens in groups and people don't come back to that, right? And people are like, I, I told all of them and then no one like did anything, right? And that's really hurtful. Um, but to be able to say like, okay, you still only get like this kind of space and time, but we're going to give you more spotlight. Like when we have more time, whether that's through text messages or a meeting or whatever it may be. And that's why I always try to tell people, we're going to come back to that, but let's continue to go on this and see what else they have to say. What do you do with the person then who has that, but like their life is so chaotic that they're yes. not available any other time. Like, like the only time you could actually have them as an audience member is actually in the community group or a small group or wherever it might be, but like, how do you, that's their only available time. Yeah. Then could you have somebody mm-hmm. else in the group take over the leadership of the group and step out? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so updates and stuff like that, I always think are really good. I mean, it's kind of hard to do over text, but I honestly think that's like the best way to be able to do it. Like, okay, Meredith, can you give us an update on, you know, when you broke your foot, you know, and then it's like, okay, here's my update. Here's what's going on. She's not going to break her foot again. Um, and so what, what does that look like, right? So you have the updates maybe before, so everyone walks into group knowing that information. That's always way more helpful for me than if the whole time I'm, like, looking at her foot and wondering what's going on. I don't get the update until afterwards. Does that make sense? And so I always think if you can get those updates and all those kind of things before, maybe, like, the morning of the group or the day before, so then everyone's walking in that kind of knowing and being on the same page. And I do think sometimes, like, if something catastrophic happens in someone's life, the group can be devoted to them for that night. That's fine. And that, but it's that habitual pattern, right? Because some people just have a lot more chaos in their life, a lot more drama, a lot more hard seasons, right? And so that's when we have to become very wise to be able to be like, okay, you know, if something really traumatic happens, you can have that spotlight all the time because you can have that, but you just can't have the spotlight all the time every week because special projects again. Any other thoughts on that, like what you can do? Did you say just a, if you're updating Meredith mm-hmm. or if you get that update? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. 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 So, like, if you have a group text, then it's yeah. like you can fill that in there, or like you said, as a leader, you yourself can pursue that update and then be able to share that with the group to be able to handle that. But that's also takes a lot of like. I mean, I've totally been totally guilty of sometimes being a small group leader and getting to the group and be like. I forgot to ask Meredith about their ankle. You know, like, and you may even be thinking about it and praying about it sometimes even, but I kind of just forgot that follow-up, and now it's just going to bring a little bit more time-stealing, but at the same time, like, it's kind of a big deal, so you kind of need to, like, pay attention to it. All right, so this is a good one, and I would love to hear, well, I'll read you the question. How do you redirect the person who goes into too much about themselves in prayer time and in sharing time? How do you, like, give me maybe some... Phrases that you find helpful, right? Or things and tricks or tips that you have. Anyone have tips, tricks, or phrases that you have found helpful in groups? Before it even starts, especially when it's in prayer. Mm-hmm. Like how do you, how do you yeah. get them then? I mean, it's one thing in conversation, but now it's prayer. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'll tell you, <laughs> it is, it is. I'll tell you some tricks, okay? Don't, again, there's certain things I don't tell lots of groups of people because then you're gonna hold them against me and you're gonna see when I'm doing them. Um, but one of the things I'll do a lot of times then is, <laughs> I want the recording up. Um, I'll be like, I'll just find something to distract about, right? Because it switches the synapses in people's brains from like being apathetic to like being task oriented, right? And so you'll be like, oh wait, did you have a pen? Or like, um, like I, I'll do lots of things like that because then everyone like goes, doo -doo, and it makes a little synapse switch in your brain and then you can revisit it after you've asked a question to be able to be like, okay, and then you can kind of wrap it up and then come back, right? And so, so like, it works with children when they're having fits too. <laughs> so, and it's kind of the same thing. So like when you're getting emotional about a prayer request, when you're getting emotional about sharing too much of your story, when you're getting emotional about the fact that you want another brownie and your mama won't give them one, it's actually the, all the same processes that are going in your brain and the emotional control center is just getting like fired up and up and up and up and up. And you're like an intellectual and thought oriented processes are getting shut down and down and down. And so one of the greatest things you can do with a kid when they want a brownie and you're not gonna give them a brownie is be like, okay, wait, I was thinking, would you rather have toenails that grew into curlicues or would you rather have ear hair that you braided, right? And they're going to be like, what? But what you happened, and they'll go back to the brownie, but what you just did is you actually like engaged the synapses on their thinking side of their brain and you created action and firing going on over there so they can begin to assess and analyze what they're going on. So a lot of times I'll use a distraction. Like with my kids all the time, I'll be like, wait, did you just see a bug? <laughs> they they oh don't tell them I do that. Um, <laughs> especially with the legs, they'll be like, no, I'll be like, wait, I don't know. I don't even, I'm, so I'm not lying because I won't say I saw one either. I'm just asking questions. Like, are the bugs around here? I don't know. Are the bugs? And so, um, but what that does is it interrupts the emotions on where it starts going on and it brings like, that's into a different part of our brain. And then when that brain starts to get some activity in it, then we can go. So like the prayer request and people are going on and on and on about a story, what's happening. The best thing that you can do is add some kind of interruption. <laughs> I... Uh, I stub my toe a lot at those moments, right? I'm like, ow, ow, right? And so it's just like any kind of break or behavior to like change this, the smooth of what's going on. And then I'll be like, okay, I'm so glad you were sharing that. Is there anything else that we can wrap that up with or whatever before we move on to hear Amanda's prayer request or whatever it may be? And so a lot of times it is getting any kind of the center of the brain to have activity on it that's going to be the more like thought side. I do it all the time. Um, and it works really well. Totally. Like if you know you have like two minutes or whatever it may be, and I'll tell the group all the time. So I would love, if you have something that is just burning your heart, please just write, email us or text us or whatever you guys have set up to communicate in your group. But at this point, we know we can't get into anyone's. Exactly. Yep. Yep. You mentioned this earlier about how encouraging people to ask for prayer requests focused on the gun. Yeah, yes. It's so hard for me to explain that to people. It's it like, is. So so we could come up with a better word. I call them spiritual prayer requests, right? right. So it's like, well, wasn't every prayer request spiritual? Well, no. Um, and so it's like how you are in that situation, right? And so that's something, like I said, as small group leaders, if you're going to have one skill that you developed yourself and you developed in those people, oh, 
that'd be a great skill because it's like, how are we taking what the word of God is saying, what we are learning about in the book of Hebrews, for example, and how are we applying that into these things that we see coming into our life? Because God isn't like, God isn't like, whoa, I have no idea what you're learning has any correlation to what's going on in your life, right? He's like, no, this is like complete under my umbrella of sovereignty. Like, I want you to be seeing how what you're learning is absolutely like coming into all areas of your life. So if we don't shepherd the women towards that, in some ways, it's like a really sad lost opportunity to be able to like really help people see that. One time, one time, uh, Matt's done this one too. One time, uh, and we were, I was struggling with that in our community group. Like, I just felt like the prayer requests were not without meaning, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I had them summarize every, pray about it this week, think about it, come back, and we're going to pray for one word for you. you yes. One word. Yeah. You know, Michael does that a lot too. Your, yep. Some of them couldn't get it down. They had two, but that was that was a really cool tool for me to think about. Well, what are, yeah, I'm giving. Them what is the core of this, feel, right? Yeah. Right? What is yeah. the core of this? What is at the heart of this? And what God is trying to work in me? That, that worked really well. Just give me one word you want me to pray for you mm -hmm. this week. So. Mm -hmm. And then, like, we'll follow up with dessert after our community group, and then share that share all right. the details. Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Break it down into that one focus, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to hear, I love, like, and I want to hear those stories. Like, I want to hear people's stories. I want to hear what's going on in their lives. Like, I also want to hear that, too. I think the biggest thing is in that group environment is just, like, how do we point you towards Jesus, right? Like, so how is this leading you towards growing? Like, how is this going on? Because I think so many times when I look at groups, I think, and, and my greatest sadness is it's, like, if everyone in your group is the same person as when they started, like, we have failed at something, right? And so the Holy Spirit is actually just his his mode of operation is sanctification. So like if he is there with us, then we will have seen people sanctified. If everyone's the same person dealing with the same stuff at the same level in the same way in the same, 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 there is something very sad about that group. And so we have to be thinking like how do we make our groups places where connection and change is happening and the and Jesus is being glorified and the kingdom is being like advanced. So I think I heard that phrase recently is like and like the prayers for ending situations or like circumstantial like which is, like, what you guys oh, are talking mm -hmm. about. Like, when you're, like, praying for, like, someone so, like, shares about, let me see, someone's great aunt has cancer. Yes. And that's a prayer request. Right. But, that, actually, the heart of it is that person is just worried that their aunt doesn't know the gospel and they're not sharing right. the gospel. Or, like, the person has a problem with control and right. she feels like everyone is, like, dying and mm -hmm. she has no control and God's mm -hmm. not sovereign. And so there's, like, a heart of what's right. going or on. Right, or trusting that he's right. but there. But, like, every request, it's, like, there are all these, like, health problems or all these, right. like, circumstances that we're praying about. But really, mm -hmm. like, I'm not any more connected to that circumstance than I am. Mm -hmm. I'm more connected to that person. Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. can I pray for you through that? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have amazing small group members who can, when they start praying, you're like, yeah, that's what you should be praying for. Like, totally. Just, like, hear the request and they pray for something that's the Holy Spirit-led, not mm -hmm. how the person presented it. Mm -hmm. And really pointing that out even afterwards. Is totally. Really Lisa, that's a good phrase that you said. How can I pray for you in that? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think God is doing in you? Exactly. All right. So if we don't have any other questions, let's break up into groups.